Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. We thank you for joining us. Don't forget if you miss any part of the broadcast, you can go to our website, check the rebroadcast out at thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. T-H-E, Bachelor with a T, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Dot com. Go to my guest. He is an adjunct professor of legislative politics, specifically religion and politics at George Washington University Graduate School. Also a reverend, uh, of course, uh, back on the show. We appreciate him. He is Professor Quadrico Bernard Driscoll. And Professor, I appreciate you coming on as always. I hope all is well with you, sir. Happy MLK Day to you, LL, and to your listeners. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so you wrote a, a very good piece on um, Reverend Warnock's uh, his victory, but of course the the uh, ordeals and the the things that he's gone through since he won um, the runoff as a, a senator in Georgia. People don't know Reverend Warnock, of course, the uh, Democrat in Georgia who won. He beat his Republican uh, rival, and now he's one of two. Uh, Democratic senators, um, which thank you to them, uh, help the Democrats. If you're a Democrat, um, that basically basically have the uh, majority in the Senate because obviously, President, uh, Vice President-elect Harris will be the tiebreaker. So it is goes in the favor of the Democrats. But your your article was uh, what the attacks on Raphael Warnock's faith reveal about Christian nationalism, and I thought it was spot on. Uh, this is a man who took over Ebenezer Baptist Church, famed of the, 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 the Church of Reverend Dr. King on Dr. King Day, um, been very consistent in terms of his social injustice platform from a Christian perspective, right? But, you know, the, the, the scripture tells us to speak out about injustices, right? That's part of it. And he did that in a Christian way. But Two things about your article I thought was really well written. You talk about how Republicans um, have have this sense of or or this entitlement of the moral authority, but filled with hypocrisy. Because if they have the moral authority, these are the same Republicans that criticized his opponent, criticized him as you know being tied to Reverend. Uh, Jeremiah Wright, of course, who, of course, uh, people were critical of former President Obama in that regard as his pastor and that that type of thing. But also, these are the same white Christians, let's keep it real, um, that support number 45. So you can support a guy who says only Jews can count my money, who I, I can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away. I can grab a woman by the private parts. Um, I can, uh, you know, the, the Central Park Five need to get, you know, executed. This is the same guy that you supported. In the name of God, I guess. I don't know what God it is. But talk about that, how it's, it's so hypocritical of them trying to have this moral authority. And I guess they left the morals at the door. Meanwhile, this man is standing for truth and justice and doing it the right way. Uh, L.A., I think you have summarized the article pretty well. Um, so, I, you know, essentially, I reflect on the election of uh, Georgia Senator-elect Raphael Warnock, right, and the, the Capitol insurrection that took place January 6th, 
and the deep divisions within the American Christian community and the those events of what it has exposed under the umbrella of Christian nationalism, which is the heart of what, what you are referring to and talking about. So the hypocrisy that you are mentioning with regard to the Republicans uh, have always, quite frankly, been there. It, it started with those who were uh, slave owners and slave masters, but yet Christians, right, which we knew was a hypocrisy. We knew, of course, that um, that's a direct opposition to what it means to be a Christian. But more formally, uh, the Republican Party claimed to be the party of the faithful through the identification of the religious right, which started with the moral majority. Names like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robinson, and which started in the late 60s, right? So you had Vietnam, you had the civil rights movement, you had the sexual revolution. That's taking place in the background. But yet there are these uh, Midwestern, Southern, typically middle class folk who are starting this moral maturity, um, and we know again. We I called some of those names, and so their belief was that this country needed to shift its values, and they packaged such those values in non-religious terms and started to focus more on the social issues, and thus they gained power. Those are the same people um, that were a part and of the Tea Party. Uh, that we saw, of course, at the end of Bush's term going into Obama's term, and it's the same people that we saw January 6th uh, during the Capitol insurrection. They haven't gone anywhere. It's just the manifestation. And I, and I chose to, to focus on the nuances with regard to white fragility, white immunity, white supremacy, whatever we want to call it, um, the election, of course, of Warnock being the first African-American senator from the state of Georgia, from the South particularly, and this encasing this, of course, in this idea that to be a true American and to be a true Christian means that one has to be white and typically male and, and Christian and that the rest of us should just be grateful for having lived in this country. But then what does that mean mm. When we live in a country that, per the Constitution, right, that allows freedom of religion, and where Christianity specifically is used as sort of a civil religion, right? We know, and what I mean by civil religion, it is this term that a sociologist came up with where we use these semi-religious tools and symbols as a way, particularly with the Abrahamic faith traditions, as a way of healing the country through difficult times. You know, every president has, has done that. But, of course, we see 45 using Christianity as a weapon and to empower his supporters, right? Uh, and so th- I, I, ch- I choose or chose to talk about all of that, and this is, again, under the umbrella of Christian nationalism, which is dangerous. And, of course, the Republican Party has unfortunately, uh, again, starting from a more organized political perspective from the late 1960s up until now, using it as a weapon. And this is also precisely why we saw 45 Trump remove peaceful protesters from Lafayette Square in June of last year to hold up a Bible, right? So unlike other presidents 
who have used these Christian symbols as means to bring the country together, regardless of whatever faith tradition most Americans are. Trump used it to endorse Christian nationalism, which again is this uh, very oppressive way of weeding out other people who are not white and Christian. You know, uh, Professor, when you you it's funny you used to say that. And oh, by the way, he was at Lafayette Square um, with the Bible upside down. I mean, this is the same guy who said two Corinthians. I mean, and thought it was cool and thought he was like doing something and saying something. He he, he didn't even know how to, to, to quote the scripture. But anyway, I digress. Uh, but you know. You mentioned in your article, I thought it was very good, that you talk about how you know, it, 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 you know, Amy Barrett, Judge uh, Amy Barrett is on the uh, Supreme Court, um, you know, was it was like hands off with her. She's this Christian leader, and how dare you, you know, come after her with her Catholic faith and how you know she stands on her values and belief, but. The black reverend, I guess, is just this crazy black dude is just I guess my point is, is that it 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 still comes down to race. When you look at Amy Barrett, she's this, you know, soccer mom, nice Catholic woman and, you know, pure as snow. And this guy is just this radical black guy just trying to radical, you know, is just trying to get the, the get the, the the natives the blacks all all riled up and he's really not about anything he can't be a man of faith he can't be a man of god because he's black and we black and and we just want our way i mean it just seems like that hypocrisy is right there that even our even our black leadership is not deemed as uh on the same level when it comes to white christians and that whole um, uh, Christianity, when it comes to Christian nationalism, for, for me, which means uh, the way in the, in the way that you per, portrayed it in, in your article, that typically means white Christians. Right, right. You, I mean, so what we saw during during the Supreme Court hearing with Amy Coney Barrett, who is now Justice Barrett, I suppose, was Democrats. By and large, the Senate Democrats, it was hands off about talking about her very conservative right-wing Christian faith, right? It, right. I mean, they absolutely didn't mention it. And, and and it wasn't just that it was a right-wing Christian faith. It was kind of extreme, right, it, uh, to, an, to an extent. But yet, and again, I mentioned this in the article, uh, it was – somehow fair game to attack Warnock and his faith tradition, as it, of course, was to attack uh, uh, Jeremiah Wright, who we know, of course, famously is or was Obama's pastor. And then, of course, lumped in James Cone, who is the uh, father of black liberation theology, and, and other uh, preachers, Calvin Otis Butts, who's now the current pastor, of course, at the Abyssinian Baptist Church. And quite frankly, this is King. Uh, they, these are the same people, the lineage, right, the, the, a new different generation that attacked Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, because what we have to understand, and you said it boils down to race. Well, of course it boils down to race, right? Recall the – it's an old photo, and it's a picture of the Ku Klux Klan. And they're in a church, and right above it, it says, Jesus saves. So, again, this goes all the way back, quite frankly, to the days of when Africans 
arrived to this country, and we were forced, quite frankly, with Christianity down our throat, although we always had a belief, of course, in God. And, it, and, and, it, and from, from our oppression came, in, in many respects, uh, black liberation theology and the social gospel movement, which gave the, uh, which, which provided the spiritual underpinnings for the civil rights movement. And King was rooted in such tradition. Raphael Warnock is rooted in such tradition. I'm rooted in such tradition. And that is the prophetic tradition that African, most African Americans, I should say, or I shouldn't, I would, some, not most, some African Americans are rooted in. And it, and it started with a, a pastor in Augusta, Georgia, William Jefferson White. Uh, who who right. is is somehow credited with that social gospel movement who put the word of God, so to speak, as we say in the church, into practice, ensuring that Jesus came for the oppressed, Jesus himself being an African Palestinian Jew to set the captives mm. free. Right. So we we know this, but again. In the night, in the in a more politic, more politicized, organized, formally in the '60s against these white Christian conservatives, and Trump is a means to an end. This is why they are able to ignore his grabbing of women's vaginas. This is why they are able to ignore his his bastardization of scripture because he's a means to an end. He serves their purpose. And he serves their purpose, of course, by putting an Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court. You know, I, I just need you to say uh, Jesus was who? I, I just need you to repeat that. <laughs> that Jesus is and was an African Palestinian Jew. <laughs> okay, I just need you to re- repeat that for the audience, uh, uh, folks. And that's a whole different deep conversation, uh, Professor. Uh, we we have to get you on to talk about it again. And you know they, you know, Scripture says you know you know them by their fruit, right? So you know uh, the fruit of of these people and how they they this this Christian imperialism that's taking place that was forced upon us. Like you said, we believe we we have our relationship with with our God with Christ. You know, and the Christianity part is a whole different thing. But anyway, I want to read this real quick because I know you only got a lot of time. But part of your article, you said the black tradition of the social gospel equipped uh, civil rights leaders with much of their movement's intellectual underpinning. Essentially, to attack Warnock as radical is to attack square on the legacy of Dr. King. Very good point. Like Warnock, he believed that racism, sexism, materialism, I mean, militarism, Poverty, classism were deeply ingrained inequities uh, that long have threatened America's democratic ideals. Whenever religious figures speak in the prophetic tradition that critiques American imperialism and exceptionalism, they are vilified as anti-American. You talk about tropes going on. Should we even be surprised with this? And uh, and the, the second part of it is, you know, we we not just are as our 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 black pastors like yourself, our reverends, we are supposed to be preaching love and you know, um love, 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 love and love, 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 love. 
not justice, <laughs> not equality, none of that thing. It's almost like we again we have to be we have to acquiesce, we have to be non threatening, and they won't. God forbid something happens to this man that he serves for a long time as a senator. When he moves on and goes home, he you know they'll appreciate him then, just like in like you said in the lines of Dr. King. Now they want to do that. I have a dream speech. They don't want to talk about the speech he talked about. You know the danger of a moderate white. So or um, you know when he called out the, the uh, rabbis and others from from his uh, his jail cell, and when he talked about Vietnam and talked against that, they don't want to talk about that part. They want to do the kumbaya part. Right. Look, um, there, there are two things, and, and, and again, I, don't, I didn't come on in my role as, as, a, as a pastor, as a preacher, but Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, right, to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of slight sight, excuse me, to the blind. And then Matthew goes on to articulate, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you gave me shelter. When I was, you know, naked, you clothed me. This is what is in scripture, and this is part of the social gospel movement is all about. So, and, and, and I think we also have to be very clear. In those two scriptures I just gave, that within itself is rooted in love. Because King called for us to be more of a love-oriented society and less of a thing-oriented society. And love is a peace that is just as powerful as any weapon. So it is not this sort of kumbaya, sentimental-type feeling of love, but it is a radical love that shifts the power from those who are the oppressors to ensuring that the oppressed have access, that the oppressed have food, something to eat, something to drink, housing, shelters, and to set them ultimately free, as indicated in Scripture. And and that's that's essentially what it talks about. But you know, you you can't be radical. Uh, and you you talk about uh, uh, how that goes on. It, it if how would Doc King deal with a Republican Party with a a power structure with those one percent that wants to keep down the other ninety nine percent? I mean, it, it feels like we're going towards apartheid. You know what apartheid was? I mean, ten percent of the people running ninety percent of the the darn country. And it wasn't until the you know the, the the push forward and and where the world saw all of these atrocities that things changed and 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 you saw how um, the white uh, establishment fought back so hard because a they didn't want to lose their power and b they probably said man the way we treated them they're going to get us bad and I think that's the same thing that's going on here they're afraid of losing their power and that would be right. those who are. Uh, that, that Christian establishment, um, and they're afraid that what they've done to us is going to come back ten times worse to them. So, what would Dr. King? How would he handle this in this day and age? You know, 
I, I cannot pretend and know how Dr. King w- would handle this, right? He would be 91, I think, uh, you know. So what would a 91-year-old do? But but what I can tell you is that we refuse in this country, right, we refuse to deal with his moral thought and his political philosophy in this contemporary moment. Because it's easy to deify a dead dreamer than to heed the words of a living prophet. And so mm. we we encase him as this, you know, innocuous, colorblind dreamer, as this, as this you know, proverbial tooth fairy of racial harmony, but we refuse to deal with the moral and political philosophy. And until we're able to actually, and you, you made a mention of this, of just referring to his I Have a Dream speech, but of ignoring all of his other sermons and speeches where he actually forces us to talk about this moment, to talk about a revolution of values, even in his address uh, at the Riverside Church of going, I think it's beyond Vietnam, where he talked about shifting financial resources for, uh, from this sort of militarized prison industrial complex to the poor. Right, which is ultimately what led to his death. So we we refuse to to really read and listen to what he said. And so I think he would still be challenging the power structures of this country today, right? With a radical love, shifting resources, shifting the the narrative that we have been, of course, oppressed with for far too long. Time and time again, the black prophetic preaching tradition has called America to its better self. And we see that black people continue to call, black and other oppressed groups of people historically, continue to call America to be its better self. Because most whites in this moment do not have the wherewithal to ascertain and to try to figure out and understand what happened on January 6th, because as you indicated, too much of their humanity, too much of their identity is rooted in them maintaining power. And most are unconscious of it. Um, Bernice King, I saw a quote. She said, please don't act like uh, everyone like my father, that he was hated um, and he was isolated um, Mm -hmm. back then, especially when he did come out against Vietnam War, but it, I think she's making a point of like, you know, come on, America, the same people who want to, you know, uh, adore him and talk about all that I have a dream and want people to feel warm and fuzzy, wanted him dead. And the same people, um, Professor, that uh, talk about quality that he wanted and, and are quick to have their, you know, staffers find quotes to talk about it are trying to stop voter, you know, voters from uh, voting, voter suppression right. and uh, the, the inequalities in housing and jobs and, and, and schools, HBCUs underfunded and all of those things. The, the hypocrisy goes to the highest levels. And again, it goes, it's not just about 45 and it's not just about those who you pointed out eloquently in your article. It's about those who, you know, they stroke us on the back and stab us at the same time. And that's what they did to Dr. King. And they certainly, just like Ali, now he's dead, he's not threatening. They want to reveal him and, and love him now. But when he was, when he said, no Vietcom, uh, call me nigger, 
They hated him then, but it's the same thing with Dr. King. Absolutely. He, he Muhammad Ali, and several others are now part of the, the pantheon of American civic gods, right? We, we use them conveniently for our ideological talking points, and we take him and others out of the case when we need to, uh, to appeal to peace every time citizen protest exposes the hypocrisy of democracy, particularly for those who are living under the underside of the American empire. So absolutely, we, we continuously use King for our convenience and particularly every time citizens protest or when we call out to the hypocrisy of democracy. And I would also add a footnote that there were black churches and black pastors who were also equally against King because they, because they right. thought that King was moving too fast. He was doing too much. And given the conservative nature now and, and historically of the black church, they too were equally critical of King. So you're, so Bernice King is, of course, absolutely right. He was not this beloved dreamer when he was alive, right, which is why I right. said it is, it, is, it is easy to deify a dead dreamer than it is to heed the words when he was alive. That's right. Uh, Religion and Politics is the uh, website. What the attacks on uh, Raphael Warnock's faith reveal about Christian nationalism is the article. Uh, Professor Quadricus uh, Driscoll wrote it. Please do. We'll give that information out again where you can find it. Uh, Professor, uh, if you want to let people know how they can follow you, uh, other articles or anything else, please do let them know. I know you you, you got to get out of here. Sure, sure. You can follow me on Twitter, which is also where the article is housed at Q underscore Driscoll, D-R-I-S-K-E-L-L-4. That's Q underscore Driscoll 4. As always, Professor, I appreciate you coming on. Be well, and uh, I will talk with you very soon. Thank you for your time. Great. Thank you. Take good care. Hey, this is Craig Bachelor Jr. And he's Kevin Bachelor. And this is Smooth Smooth Say. And you're listening to The Bachelor News Radio Show. On the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Don't forget if you missed any part of our broadcast, you can go to our website, uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, and listen to the show in its entirety at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern Time uh, at that website, every day at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Speaking of that, my next guest uh, airs uh, his show on Saturdays there on the Bachelor News Radio Network. He is a senior pastor at Maximum Life Worship Center in Greensboro and the uh, host, of course, if you will, the, the Life Cafe broadcast airs, as I mentioned, every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the thebachelornews.airtime.pro. He is Pastor Omar Rojas. And, Pastor, it's uh, always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to, to be to be on with you. Thank you so much. And I always have you on. You know, you always have great answers for some thought-provocative uh, uh, topics. And, you know, I wanted to have you on. We just finished this election, and, you know, even with that, people want to feel like they can breathe now. Uh, vast, vast, um, uh, 
um, the vaccine are on the way, so they say. And, um, you know, people are trying to look for hope. There's still a lot of divide, as you know. We don't have to get into all the, the political stuff. But there's still stress and there's still people who want to have some sense of normalcy, some stability. So with scriptures and what you would say um, just directly, what would be the thing that you would say in regards to what the word would say in terms of applying some faith and some instructions to your life to make people feel better and, and know that it's going to be better. Right. Uh, it, it is, uh, you know, facing a lot of challenging times. And, you know, it would be nice if there was just one thing going on that we could kind of process, but uh, um, the way society and, and the way life is, is right now, it's, uh, it's a lot of things all at one time. Um, but, you know, you know, we all we all face a lot of things, you know, even, you know, beyond what's, what's going on in our in our world today. We, we face a lot of challenges from, from day to day. And so, you know, for for those of us, you know, believers, you know, it's it's one of those, as the scripture would say, to, you know, to hold fast to our uh, profession of faith, you know, and, and another that says, you know, you know, in, in due season, we'll, we'll reap if we think not. And so challenging as, as, as things are right now, we still do. Uh, have to look to God. We have to look to God in in, in, in these situations, and, and and again, hope fast, believing that that He will, you know, show up as He as He has in times past. And that's one of the things that I I do personally is 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 I reflect on different times that that He has uh, come through for me. You know, of course, while I was going through a specific something, uh, you know, I, I didn't necessarily see a way out. You know, but hindsight, I can see where you know He. Uh, showed up for me, and so you know, I personally take you know take the time to look back at those times and and remind myself that you know even though I may not see him the way I want to see him, you know, in this situation, he's proven to show up before, and you know, with his um, track record, if you will, it gives me personally the encouragement I need to to, to keep going because he's always shown up for me. He's just joining us. We're talking with uh, Pastor Omar Rojas uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Pastor, do you have you had to do much counseling, if you will, uh, many of your sermons uh, in the midst of this virus, uh, even you know leading up to it, uh, and with the chaos of the political uh, climate, the, the racial co- climate, have you ha- had to do more in that that area because of it? Uh, I wouldn't have had to do more, but I uh, at, with with those particular things in mind, but. Maybe as a as a result of you know just a common a whole bunch of things a culmination of things there there has seemed to be um, more more conversations and 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 you know um, advice giving if if I can just use the proper terms uh, tonight <laughs> you know just the more uh, wisdom giving uh, at this particular moment because uh, as, as we're talking as we're talking about you know there there seems to be a lot of things going on and uh, again I, I I believe it's just because of all of these things all happening all at one time, you know, COVID-19 and, and, and what we've been living through, this pandemic we've been living through for, oh, I'm not sure how many months now, uh, roughly since February, March of yeah, this about, year. About nine months, um, I believe. About yeah, so months, it's, yeah. it's been some time. And, you know, people are going through some things, you know, the, the whole quarantine and, and, you know, essentially being isolated. And, and I think we talked about this before in the previous show. Uh, you know, some you know some people are being locked in places that they don't want to be in. You know, when, when we're talking about home, you know, in a home situation, um, and so you know the difficult 
difficulties that come from that uh, have have been very real. And so, yeah, we, we we've we've done a lot of uh, I don't want to say counseling, but a lot of uh, advice giving as a result of a lot of things that have been going on in 2020. You know, the one thing I saw again, not to get too political or anything, but uh, yeah. when President-elect Biden was deemed the winner and at 270 electoral votes, uh, mm-hmm. you saw masses of people all across the country and even, you know, other countries uh, as well, dancing in the streets and excited <laughs> and and crying and relieved. Um, do they miss, though, even believers, do, do they miss at the end of the day that with everything that was going on, and again, just, you know, trying to not to, to be biblical as, you know, you're the, the scholar, but did they miss that God is still God? Did they miss the point? Did, are they you thinking they're getting that? I mean, because they sell, you know, the, the wicked witch is dead. You know, if they're not a Trump supporter, so they're dancing in the streets and, and doing all these things. Are, are, do you feel like we're not getting the point after all that's gone through and after all we're still going through? I, I do think that we have, um, just as, as, as believers in, in general, it, it, it almost seems, and, and, and you hit the nail on the head um, in asking the question, is that, you know, I, I think we've lost sight of the fact that, that as believers, that, that you know, we, sh- we should and ought to believe that God is in control. And I think we've, we've, we've lost sight of that as a whole, not everybody, but just, you know, as a whole. And, 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 and honestly speaking, um, there have been uh, some people that are close to me that, that, that have it, it, I, I just have become really disappointed because of it seems as if we have more faith in the presidency than we do God, and um, it's it, it, it's it's been dis, dis, uh, disheartening and, and, and disappointing last couple of weeks or a week or so, however long it's been. Just seeing you know again more faith in the presidency than than, than in the, the God that we uh, say that we serve and the in the God that we believe in and follow and have given our lives to. Yeah, I was I was talking to someone that uh it mentioned that and, and, and basically was was saying that we should not lose our way. That uh, if right. we feel again, if you're anti Trump in this particular case or any any position that your candidate won, you feel like yes your vote counted, but now is a new day from your behalf if you voted that way. But it's a higher power, it's a higher uh, position that allowed your candidate to win. And I don't think that uh, some people understand that. And it was um, an old friend of mine that was uh, pointing that out to me today. But your, your thoughts on that? Well, but that's, that's absolutely true. It's, you know, it's like the Bible says, God, you know, God puts up one and takes down another. Um, so, you know, who's in office, whether we like it or not, <laughs> you know, um, has has been set there by God as believers, even if we don't agree with what whatever the turnout is or was or I don't even know the correct term to put at this particular point. Um, uh, you know, our, our position has to always be a position of prayer. You know, regardless of whether we like the candidate or not, or whether we agree with 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 you know you know their policies and so on and so forth. Our our position has to be a position of prayer, um, and, you know, uh, because, you know, as, as the Bible says, you know, the heart of the king is in the Lord's, is in the Lord's hands, um, and, so, and, and he can turn that heart. So, 
you know, you know, again, we have to really, really have a, a position or even a posture of prayer uh, for leaders, again, whether we like them or not. And that's the hard part um, because, and this is, this is going to be tough, but, you know, we, we oftentimes only pray for the people that we like, um, but that's not what prayer is about. And so, uh, again, we have to pray for our leadership, uh, whether we like them or not, uh, so that, you know, we can see God move on, you know, on our behalf, on the people's behalf. What do you think of, I was reading online for um, some, it was a Christian site, and there were some people that said, you know, uh, A, you know, God doesn't make accidents. There's no accident. Everything is right. But but Mm -hmm. B, that this COVID is, you know, lack of a better word, is, you know, something that God allowed to bring people Mm -hmm. together to to, uh, send a clear message. Is that what you understand um i i can i can understand that um but i i can also you know say that it, it could be the result of of poor decision making or or even based on how it's spread uh you know for some not all you know uh through touching things we're not supposed to be touching you know you know so and 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 look at the things that we have to do we you know we have to cover our mouths or we have to clean our hands wash our hands you know before during after you know we have to be a little bit more uh conscious of of, of you know, the things that we're touching so you know does god allow things absolutely and is it to bring people closer together is, is, is it to you know, I, I i wish i could you know i had the answer for that but you know as, as the bible would say that uh, a curse causeless does not come so there is a reason a reasoning behind you know, COVID-19, and I'm not trying to, you know, say it's something political or it's the government or I'm not saying any of that. Um, I'm just, you know, simply, you know, from the Bible standpoint, a curse causes does not come. So it could be the result of, of, of poor decision making years ago or whatever the case may be. Um, but, but it, it's not, as we would say, happenstance that COVID-19 is, is, is here. You know, what would you, final thoughts, what would you, uh, what scripture um, would you uh, refer people to? Uh, I know people at this point want stability. They want peace. Uh, they, they want um, hope. They want to know that it's all it's going to be okay. And and certainly we can go to the word to find that. But what would you um, put out there for people to kind of read and get some encouragement? Right now, I would um, and and it's a super super familiar passage of scripture um, um, that I'm, I'm actually going to probably read really quickly. Uh, sure. And it is, uh, and again, something we probably all heard at least twice in our life. This might be the second time for somebody. <laughs> um, but and, and uh, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and to them who are called according to His purpose. Um, and 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 that's the scripture that gives us hope. Uh, I do want to I, I do want to add not to this scripture but but add to the context of the scripture uh, because uh, you know a lot of times especially you know in the church or as believers we say this all, you know often that 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 you know things work together um, the way we state state it really is is they, they work for my good but that's not what the scripture says the scripture says that things work together for good right. Um, and so here's the thing, and I think I said this in a previous uh, broadcast or interview, uh, and, and that's this, is that 
I have to make sure that my good and God's good look the same. And uh, because, again, the Scripture says for good to them that love God. Not my good, but good. Uh, I, I say that because all these things, these, these experiences that we're having, these situations that we're facing, these dilemmas, these issues, and, you know, whatever word we want to use tonight, it's going to work for good. Um, and, and, and here's the beauty of, of it working for good, and that's this, is that this, this passage of Scripture talks about things working for good. These things work for good when we process them in prayer. So, so, so tonight, if I can encourage anybody um, in, in situations and things that we're going through, is that to always keep that commute that line of communication open with God. Always keep committing things to prayer. I know it doesn't seem like it's working. I know it doesn't seem like God is moving. But if we continue to process these things in prayer, even when they're not moving, even when things uh, are stagnated, uh, uh, not again, not moving, if we continue to process those things in prayer, continue to, to, to you know, share our hearts with God, you know, the, the, the parts we want to share and the things that we don't want to share with God, if we continue to process those things out in prayer, that's when Romans 8.28 is, is literally unlocked for us, where things start working together for good when we process these things in prayer. So I encourage you, uh, for those you know who, 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 who would like to read the Bible, go back and actually read Romans 8 uh, in its entirety, and you'll see and be able to capture that Romans eight twenty eight comes after prayer. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we get mad with God because things may not be working for our good, but my question is, is have we really processed these things in prayer? Have we really committed these situations uh, and circumstances in prayer? So uh, I, I don't want to uh, go over my time. I, I know that I'm long-winded. No, but, 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 but please, by all means, Continue to process these things in prayer, and then we will see these things work together for our, for good. And it's funny too, uh, uh, Pastor, that someone had emailed me. You mentioned you know purpose, and uh, someone emailed Proverbs uh, nineteen twenty one. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose yes. of the Lord that will stand. And uh, someone also wrote uh, or sent in. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare yes. and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, one of my actual favorites, too. Uh, Pastor, uh, before you go, uh, please do let people know where they can find your church, your your church times, and all of that information, sir. Absolutely. Uh, we are, and I say this often, we are, are located in the great metropolis of Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, but we are on 29, we are at, excuse me, 2902 East Market Street, again, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, our service times, we have uh, our, what we call Life Cafe, uh, which is also our radio broadcast on Saturdays, right, uh, between 5 and 6, uh, uh, Saturday evenings, I'm sorry. Um, but we have our Life Cafe, which is our version of Bible study at 8.30 a.m. on Sundays, and then we go into prayer uh, in the service right at 915. Uh, and of course, we do have Bible studies on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, that's Maximizing Life Family Worship Center, home of the Max Life Church. That's the name. That's the uh, Facebook page. 
you can go there uh, and 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 hit like, and and you'll be able to uh, stream live with us there. Uh, but we would love for you to be our personal guest. And if, if I can have just about two seconds, uh, this coming Thanksgiving, uh, we're having what we call Feed 500. Uh, we are, are feeding the what we call the transitional community, uh, otherwise known as homeless. Uh, we, we, we do this every year, been doing it for six years, um, and, and we definitely do need your help. Uh, the, the, the best thing that I can tell you to do, if you, if, if you can help us, if you can go to our Maximizing Life Family Worship Center page on Facebook, you'll be able to see the information that, 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 uh, of the things that we need. We need volunteers and we just need, we need help again. Uh, volunteers and, and we just need uh, uh, again food to be able to uh, serve the community. Um, so uh, again, Facebook Maximizing Life Family Worship Center, home of the Max Life Church. Uh, if you go there, all the information you need for Fee 500 is there, and you can uh, get that contact information from there. Um, and and we would love for you, and we would we would really honestly bless God for any kind of help that you uh, would be able to help us. Well, Pastor, let's make sure that uh, between uh, Elder Janelle and um, yourself, we get that information so I can uh, definitely post that uh, up there for you. And listen, uh, God bless you and your family and, uh, and certainly uh, the congregation and all. And you be well. We appreciate you. Yes, sir. God bless you. Thank you. You be safe as well.
Welcome back to the show, the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and uh, our good friends at WCOM, of course, WCOM, LP, Chapel Hill, and Carborough. If you miss any part of our broadcast, you go to our website, uh, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. I want to bring in my guest. He is the men's basketball coach at St. Augustine College. Of course, they're not flying at this point. The Falcons, they're uh, grounded due to, unfortunately, COVID-19. Uh, he is Marcus Johnson. And Coach Johnson, it's always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Uh, thank you, uh, L.A., for having me on. I really appreciate this. I really enjoy it. Hey, coach, where were you when you got the word, let's backtrack, when you found out how bad COVID was going to be and maybe started hearing some rumors about cancellations and then they just canceled it all. I know when I I got to, I just finished covering the CIAA. It was a week after the MEAC was coming up. I went all the way to uh, Norfolk, got to the arena, and they canceled it. Everything. NCAA <laughs> shut everything down. Needless to say, I was not a happy camper. But where were you when everything started taking place? Uh, actually, I was out recruiting uh, when I got the the word as far as when things uh, was going to shut down um, last year, and it was just it was just amazing just watching how things. It was just a domino effect on the way the sports world was just uh, just got shut down. So I was out recruiting, and then next thing I know, the the next day, the event was shut down. So <laughs> I had to stay around for a day, you know, and doing, thinking I was going to see some basketball, but basketball was canceled. So I ended up coming back home, and you know, and, and then, you know, we, we saw how everything was then. It had to be, I mean, a, a stunner to say the least. Um, and, and let me just ask this uh, question personally. Um, I, I won't get into. You know the commissioner and the, the you know the uh, the conference did the the right thing, but what was your first reaction when it happened? Like, oh, you know, what are we gonna do? Or, um, you know, based on what we knew at the time, um, this was a smart decision. What was what was your first thoughts? Uh, my first thoughts were the the uh, the well being of the players um, because. Uh, mentally, I knew they were already fragile from not having a traditional preseason. Um, so that was my immediate thought was the players, how can I get them under control mentally to understand that, you know, this is probably for the best interest, uh, for the welfare, you know, healthy for our players, uh, just to get them on the, on the same page and understand that, you know, if the season, even though we're not having a season this year, you know, make sure you can come back and we can get things going and we are going to do some type of, you know, workouts in the spring. But, you know, mainly just talking with them to let them understand that, you know, this is just, I know it's a bump in the road now. It seems like a mountain, but it's just a small piece of life that we have to, what we call adjust and adapt. Not only pivot, but we have to adjust and adapt. This is just one of the things that we just had to do as far as adapting. If you're just joining us, of course, we're talking with Marcus Johnson. He is the uh, men's basketball coach at uh, uh, St. Augustine's uh, University Falcons um, and the whole entire CIAA uh, conference and, of course, uh, uh, others have canceled all uh, basketball uh, this season. And, and, and Coach, I, I'm glad you said that um, because I've had – I won't get into uh, names and universities and things, but I have, I've had some people on. And I've read and 
uh, know of some others who decided that they were going to play. And unfortunately, it doesn't make a difference in terms of, you know, COVID seasonal color. Um, but I think it's it's could be potentially dangerous if you're uh, HBCU and you put these kids out there and they're on campus and everything else, and God forbid something happens, then then it's really a mess. That, that, that is that is true. Um, but but one thing I've I've, I've been talking with other coaches and you know just looking at the the situation, the only way to really not contract it or stop it is you have to stay in your, your house and go from your living room to your bedroom to the bathroom <laughs> right. to the kitchen. <laughs> you know, so, you know, every, every, anytime you leave the house, there, there is a risk of you possibly getting exposed. Uh, but I think I commend my, my guys that I think they, they did a good job of handling uh, the safety measures that we put in place for them um, at the time. And we were able to get some work in, some practices in, um, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, the way things were as far as with the conference, as far as with the school situation, um, I think it was just too much to bear and too much uh, risk uh, that they didn't want to, you know, really put us out there like that. If you're joining us, we're talking with uh, Marcus Johnson, uh, uh, six seasons, I believe, under his belt at uh, St. Augustine College and um, I mean, University and um, known for great recruiting and, and certainly known for guys who can light it up. Uh, certainly, uh, if you look at um, the three-point shooters and Tyree Gathright and, and guys like that, um, it, you know, one of the things too, I talk with other uh, coaches we've had on. We have Robert Jones, I'm sure you know him, Norfolk State, some others on, and it was really hard. And I, I know it has to be if you had seniors that didn't get not only didn't get a chance to finish their senior year. But in, in, the, in the best, I'm sorry, the best basketball, men and women's basketball tournament on the planet, and that's the CIAA tournament. They didn't get to do that. Did you have um, seniors, a, a bunch of them, uh, not knowing your complete roster? Um, and if so, how did they handle it? How did you handle it with them? Um, well, the one way I handle it is I, do, I always work with them on the middle side of the game and not only just athleticism so we, we I set them down and we talked about it because you know the one thing I will commend the NCAA on is that they did allow players the opportunity to come back next year so they all see that as a good opportunity as far as getting the year older mature not only in the classroom I mean not only in the weight room and in the, in the, on the court but also in the classroom and being able to you know concentrate on your schoolwork and just work on your uh, game and your skills to try to get better for next year. And that's the main thing I keep trying to tell them is that this, this year is going to pass by, and we're going to get to next year. We just have to be ready when that year comes. And don't waste this time, you know, while in despair because at the end of the day, nobody really gives cares about your feelings. So you got to, you know, put your bootstraps on and let's get to work and let's, you know, be prepared so when the time comes next year in August, we're ready to go. Yeah, that, amen to that. And, it, you know, no, and, and, you know, even with some, uh, you know, MIAC and, and, and uh, well, the SWAC definitely and some other schools playing, uh, and, and we'll talk with the coaches, even the ones that are playing, like, I mean, you don't know if the game's canceled. You can't really practice. Um, it, it's just so many 
restrictions. If you were playing, how would you handle that? How how does that even look in the midst of COVID nineteen? I tell you, like that was that's a that's a tough one to ask because you know with it's hard. It would be hard because we have our students on campus, so we're not able to put our players in a so-called bubble. Uh, the main thing that we just kept, uh, you know, pounding in their head was just stay safe, wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your circle tight, um, and and don't try to do anything extra. And that it's a tough thing for a kid to deal with, a young kid, a young a young adult. But at the same time, if we want to get this season moving and with no interruptions, that was, that's what we were going to have to do. And it was good. it was tough. I mean, we had to deal with it with when we were practicing. Um, luckily, a week or two, we were able to be in a you know little bubble. But before that, you know, guys uh, had to just you know really stay in their rooms, go to the gym, stay in your rooms, go to the gym. Um, and and that was uh, and it was an adjustment. It was an adjustment. But I think I think as far as we you know, we have to give these kids the credit that, you know, they were able to adjust. They were able to adapt. Um, and I got to, I think that they did a great job of doing that. How has it been for you personally? Um, you know, again, it's some people have had, you know, um, unfortunately, uh, we pray for them that lost people due to this. But how has it been for you personally and your, and your family? Uh, it's, it's been, an, it's, uh, I keep going back to these words, it's been an adjustment. Um a lot of people don't realize I had COVID back in July um, for about two and a half weeks, which was uh, it, it was tough. I've had family members that that's had it. Um, but one thing I'm able to do is, you know, I have a son that plays high school basketball. Actually, I just left his game um, to come out here to, to talk with you. Is that that's what I do a lot now? Is I spend a lot more time with him um, because I, you know, normally I'm practicing at this time. But now I'm able to go see him a little more and, and see what he's doing. And also I'm able to get into uh, some high schools and some practices of, of schools where I, you know, typically sometimes it's been tough to, to get over. Uh, so that's, that's one thing I've been able to do, you know, and, and just looking at it. I'm trying to turn the negative to a positive and, and get out and just uh, see as much basketball as I can um, and put my eyes on kids and, and spend as much time with my son as I can you know, while he's uh, at his, uh, in his teenage years. Yeah, and, you know, being from Nightdale and here and, you know, knowing kids at Central and Shaw, you coach there and stuff, I'm sure mm-hmm. it, it, it allows you to be able to have some some connections. And I, I'm not going to hold you uh, longer. And I know with, with, with my kids, uh, you know, younger than, a little bit younger than yours, I mean, it, I mean we bonded because of this. So it's, it's, you know, some, <laughs> it's good. You know, my, my new name is Daddy, though, but, I mean, other than that, <laughs> you know, but other than that. Right. But what about the kids? Um, how how are your players doing? Uh, are they coming to you with concerns or any sicknesses or and or um, uh, are they receiving any sort of uh, counseling to get through this? Because it's a mental thing to be secluded and indoors all the time. It's got to be stressful. It, it definitely is, and... Um and actually, early on in the season, um, back in first semester, back in I think it was in October, November, I did bring in a psychologist to talk with them. Um, and we were doing that probably once a uh, once a month. We were bringing the psych, and I'm gonna get back to that. We haven't done it this uh, semester yet because kids just got back on campus last week. So we're going to do that more to just bring a counselor in to talk with them um, because it is tough. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's, it has it has it has affected 
me as well mentally. Uh, so I know it's affecting them uh, because, you know, I got told somebody yesterday, I told my friend, I said, it's the first time in 38 years I haven't had a basket. I haven't been able to go to a basketball practice and actually participate. So it's an adjustment for me. It's a huge adjustment. So I definitely understand their pain. Um, but they're able to talk and they know they can come to my office and we talk about it at times. But like I tell them all the time is that, you know, the Lord will not give them anything, put anything on them that they can't bear. Uh, so therefore, this too shall pass. And we're going to get through this. And, and we're going to get through this together. And, you know, when we do get through this, we're going to, you know, we're going to be even better for this. Yeah, and, you know, the Lord doesn't make any mistakes. So you're right. You can come out on the other side better. Final question for you. Um, I know you said you're probably going to do some stuff in the spring. Is there a solid game plan? Or, again, with COVID, you just don't know at this point. You you have sort of a little bit direction uh, moving forward? Yes, our, our game plan right now is to really treat it just like our, uh, like a regular postseason. Um, so uh, we're going to get in the weight room. We're going to get some skill development in. And we're going to go for about six to eight weeks. Um, and, and we're going to hit it hard to to, to develop. And to get better, and like I tell you, we're not going to waste this these months um, and wallow in despair because we're not playing. We want to get better, and and so we can come back next year even stronger, so we can able to compete for a championship. He's had success at uh, St. Augustine University in six years, of course, uh, uh, coached in uh, the CBL and and done well there. Marcus Johnson, I appreciate you, mm-hmm. sir. You be well, be safe. God bless you and your family. We'll talk with you soon, sir. Same to you, L.A., and I appreciate it. Welcome back to the show. I want to go to Gerald Hoover. Uh, Gerald Hoover is a best-selling author and uh, uh, certainly uh, does a, a phenomenal job, his My Hero series, and we'll talk about that. But uh, who I wanted to touch base with you and ask you, in this COVID-19, there's two things going on. We'll start with the education side. As you're a professor, you're an author uh, of those series. You talk about um, not only bullying and mentoring, but education. I mean, being able to spell, being able to write a check, I mean, even if you don't write checks, to learn how to, to write, signature, things of that nature, the basic things. You know, kids don't even know their home keys. Remember when we were kids, we had the type, mm-hmm. we knew the home key and all that. But right now mm-hmm. in this, this COVID-19, and we're short on time, so I want you to really get into it, what are the pluses and minuses on online schooling? I, in the beginning, my kids were like, you know what, yeah, this is cool, we get to do it. But now they're getting bored, and they want to be around their friends, so socially is different, but from an education learning standpoint, especially with black and brown uh, kids who are uh, not only uh, disadvantaged in some cases in neighborhoods, the books and all of those things, what's the pluses and minuses of learning online? Well, I'm going to go with more of the well, I, it ain't that many pluses to me. Uh, um, I think it's more of the pluses that there's something happening as opposed to just being shut down and there's nothing happening at all. So at least there's something tangible that's being used. You know what I mean? Um, can it work? Yeah, I mean, it can. But I, but like you just mentioned, that social uh, uh, if it, the, the social part of it is part of the, 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 uh, the dynamic of being able to know how to get along with, with your teammates. Uh, um, uh, I call them teammates with classmates. Uh, knowing how to function as opposed to everything being robotic pressing a button and and that's the one thing I fear LA is that with my with my book I have a curriculum and my curriculum is a full charge curriculum where there's a lot of writing involved and that's by design because you know studies show that your memory is enhanced by writing things down also you use a certain part of the brain when you're writing 
as opposed to just touching a button. A button. You use a certain part of the brain when you're reading, as opposed to just things being sent to you digitally. And I think that's the where that's where that we're going to have a problem. Uh, again, the plus is that we're doing something, you know, so it's better nothing. But the the, the minus is all a lot. It's it's a, and like you said, the, the, your 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 young men are getting bored. Um, it, it's a lot. And then what happens is the kids are so inundated with these video games. You know, everything is digitized. You know what I mean? So they could be playing Fortnite for four or five hours. Now all of a sudden you're slowing the pace. Now you're trying to tell them to teach. Now you're trying to tell them to learn that way. It's a lot. So so they have to reprogram themselves on even how to learn as opposed to being away from the computer, you know, instead of being away from the computer and being instructed by a teacher or some sort in the front, in front of them, where she's able to, she, he or she is able to do things live, you know, and in person, so to speak, and sort of uh, have the um, option of learning things on the fly as well, doing things on the fly. You really can't do things too much like that when you're online. You have to, you know, you have to kind of robot yourself a little bit as well. So, but again, pluses is that they're doing something. Minuses, oh, a lot. And, and what I fear is that our children won't get the benefit of really being promoted in a proper manner, meaning earning the promotion. Because right now, you really can't fail a kid. I mean, you can't. I mean, how can you? You know, I mean, how do you fail a kid that that uh, parents may be suffering from COVID. And, you know what I mean, they and, them, themselves might have had it. And who, that's that's a really uh, great point because uh, if you have a marginal kid, a kid that's been struggling, um, it, it, it's probably not doing a great service for that child if you pass them because of the situation and the climate we are in. And even before mm-hmm. this, speak to, because I think we had this conversation before about uh, using – you know, I, I'm, I have a real issue with kids using calculators for math. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and not mm-hmm. counting, not writing things out. Like you said, I tell my kids all the time, write it mm-hmm. down, take notes. I, they can go into my studio, my, my, my office, and see nothing but notes. And I try to tell them, not only mm-hmm. take good notes, but make sure you have organized notes. So when you come back to it, mm-hmm. you know what it is. You put your name, date, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and some, mm-hmm. I, I see some of the kids that don't do that, but I get, I have a real issue when they use sort of these electronic things or things mm-hmm. that take away from counting and reading and all of these things, mm-hmm. audio and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I'm be honest with you. I'm going to give you an analogy because I, I know you'll, you'll catch it. Well, I'm going to give you a saying. I'm going to give you an analogy. You know that, that was saying, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So we, so we understand that part. But now picture a person. That's a couch potato, straight up couch potato, remote in his hand, and beer in the other hand, eating chips, doing this for years, watching TV, you know, shape got different, what have you. Then you say, okay, I want you to get in shape, the best shape of your life within three weeks. But tonight we're going to start off with you running five miles. That person wouldn't. That person wouldn't walk good four blocks. I mean, five blocks really good. Without him, like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. And that's the same thing that's happening with our babies' brains because they're not using that part of the brain. Like you just mentioned, the all you're doing is pressing a button. You're not trying to figure things out in your head. You know what I mean? So you're not you're not exercising that part of the brain. And we know the brain is an organ, but it acts as a muscle. You might as well call it a muscle. 
because it acts as like a muscle. But if you don't use certain things to critically think, um, conceptualize things, figure things out in your head, ponder over stuff, if you don't use that kind of that part of the brain when it's time to use it, you, you please I mean, think of how many people. I guarantee you, at your audience, if you ask them, if you have read a book enough, if you have, if you ask them if they have read a book or a long article in a long time, and they if they're gonna do it before they go to sleep, and say read the article, I guarantee you they fall asleep before they do it. Because that brain ain't ain't being used. So now you're going to tell me, read all this, <laughs> you know what right. I mean, within a certain period of time. That brain is over, it's, it's, it gets overloaded, and then all of a sudden it starts to shut down because you have to build it, you have to build it back up. And so this is what's happening in L.A. with too many with too many of our children because they're so used to pressing buttons, pressing buttons, pressing buttons from video games to learning that when you tell them to do certain things, either they can't do it, they don't want to do it, or they don't know how to do it. So guess what? It's not done. And my fear, I mean, I'm saying this. I'm saying this because my, my my son is 29 years old, so I'm not, I'm I'm not a concerned parent for him, but I'm concerned parent for others. Because as an educator, every child that comes into your classroom or any class, any 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 of me when I go to schools, those children become my children, and I say it openly. I'm like, for for the for the time being, I'm here. You belong to me, That's right. and I treat them as they're my children. And so my fear is that. Because they took penmanship out of schools, you know, so these, write, these kids don't know how to write cursively, nor can they read it. So, so I'll, I'll use the word script. They not, not only can they not read in script, they can't, I mean, they can't write it, so they can't read it. So now you're telling the 18-year-old, 19-year-old, go register to do this, sign this application, go do this, and they say sign your name, he's writing in print. He's or she writing in print. And to be or not, the way they write, they're not even writing online. I mean, in other words, you, you tell the kid to write in print on the line, they're writing in between the line. And they're writing, I mean, they, they're putting their name, like, uh, they're writing across the line because they don't have a concept of writing, bro. That is, like, scary. Yeah. And that's happening worse for our black and brown babies than it is for other other children because other children, they, they the ones that have the means to it, they're being taught how to write in script. Sure. So now, so education system, it seems, they seem to have put that on the parents, which is not fair. Not, no, 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 when I say fair, because that's a basic requirement, writing. You know what I mean? That, that, should, that should be something that should be uh, uh, cataloged in schools on, 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 and, and, and should be progressed in schools because L.A., that's how we learn. You know what I mean? Our time tables, we get that in school. Right. Our, our writing, our penmanship, you know, writing between the lines, our tracing. You know what I mean? We did that. We did that in school because although, it was part of our curriculum. Although I write like a doctor without the money, but I mean, sign. Like hey, no, no, hey, 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 me too. <laughs> hey, hey, here's a funny thing. Me too, and I'm ambidextrous with it. I can write with both hands, left hand, right hand. I can do both, and I can write equally sloppy. So we're in the same boat. Yeah. I get that, but at the end of the day, my friend, we can read that. We and we can read some lots of slap, and we can read some lots of sloppy handwriting too, because right. we're accustomed to doing it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, but, but again, our babies aren't getting that privilege, and and with that, they're gonna lose so much in this fake, illusion-filled digital-based world right. because it's, it's really an illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion, bro. It's yeah. an illusion. Talking with these smartphones made made us dumb. Talking with uh, Gerald Hoover, best-selling author of My Friend, My Hero, a book targeting young black and brown boys ages 12 up and up here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM, Chapel Hill, and Carborough, uh, uh, North Carolina. And we'll get to the, the book series and info there. 
um, you know, really sort of the final uh, phase, and I know you said there's the positives because they're doing something, but again, um, the concern I have is that even before the virus, even before they had to go online, and some are going back to school in certain places, and I mean, you can get into if it's safe or not. That's a whole different discussion for another day. Um, but the fact is that, you know, it, kids, even before the virus, I, and I have to, again, I challenge mine all the time, um, it, it, They work is not, it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily fun for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we had to do that, and we knew at the end of the day it was going to make us better. Even sometimes we mm-hmm. didn't feel like going to school. I tried to play hooky. My mother found out all the time, but I had to do what I had mm-hmm. to do. And it didn't seem mm-hmm. as forced on us as it is with kids. Kids like, okay, if you, you do this, you can play this, or you can go outside, and they push and they zooming through it. But at the same time, you want to tell them, no, take your time, because a lot of teachers say take your time, read the read the questions, you know, when you're taking the test. And it seems like the ki- these kids, our kids, are trying to zoom through a lot of the, the work, and they don't seem to get it. It's more robotic than mm-hmm. consumption and understanding and comprehending it. You, you, you buy mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that, that's a fear. And, and, and matter of fact, you said it eloquently, but you basically repeated what I was saying and the way I said it. When, these, when our babies get a certain age, they're not going to be able to function other than doing what they've known. It's almost like putting a, you know, you know they put the uh, blinds on horses, run that straight, run a straight line. They won't know how to do anything else. But oh, it's not, it's not set in stone this way. They won't be able to do it. And that's where too many of our child, children are going to fail. That's where they're going to fail because they won't have options on how to do things any other way. And that's going, that, and that's a criminal act if you ask me. It's a criminal act. It's written because. Well, and, and that's why I said fake, illusional, filled world, because you say, oh, no, he got a so-and-so on his test. But, yeah, he was pressing a button that you helped him press because you're trying to get that funding because the state mandated so-and-so, so-and-so, which the state has no – they have no clue what's going on on the ground. They're a bunch of bean counters and doing whatever they're doing. They have no clue or concept of what is done on the educational level, none, because if they did or if their children was in the belly of the beast – they wouldn't have that kind of. They wouldn't have that kind of outlook. And just to interrupt too, if they if our kids aren't learning, again, post uh, pre and post COVID nineteen, they're ready to mm-hmm. put them ready to put them on meds, you know, Ritalin and whatever, oh it, it's whatever. Man, um, and, 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 and bro, and, and LA, I was I believe it or not pre COVID. And, and matter of fact, you we've had discussion about my book before COVID. Pre COVID, well, I started my curriculum. Two years ago, I mean, like getting it in stone. So I, I so I'm, I'm well ahead of the COVID part. I was yelling and screaming about in 25 years if we're not careful that we're gonna have an educational apocalypse. I was saying this for about two years now. Now it's probably gonna be closer than that because we're gonna lose two and a half years. Okay, put this way: for every child I was already behind, tack on two more years. They don't go. They're not gonna fail a kid. They're going to promote them socially. But think about the average 10th grader that's ready for college, getting ready for college in two years. They're going to be functioning on a sixth-grade reading level or sixth-grade sixth grade work level. So, so that so, means when they graduate high school, 
and graduate to go to college, they're gonna they're gonna it's gonna be a very a real challenge. So real real quick, because we're running out of time, um, what would be some of the solutions you have? You know, right now with COVID and, and moving forward, and please do uh, let people know how they can get my friend, my hero. Talk about the book and and where they can find it. Sure. Well, I, I'll, I'll do that first because it's fresh in my head. Uh, my my website is called the hero book series. Right, theherobookseries.com. Um, for those that are educators or they want to uh, do some homeschooling, help, help them enhance, you can order my book, and I will even let you know how to get the curriculum to go with it. Now, the curriculum, uh, it has a study, a study guide, which you have to write, read, uh, do some uh, uh, research to learn how to do words, how to put words together, context clues. I mean, it's, it's, it was the same thing would happen in the school. Also have a teacher's edition. To where you have the answers. So for you parents that have young children, okay, Johnny, do this, do this, do this. You as a parent, whether you've been to school lately or not, it's okay. You have the teacher's guide. You have the answers to the sentences. You have answers to the multiple choice stuff. You have the you have all the answers. I even have a pretest. So you can say here, Johnny, take this and let me see how you can do with that. Then I have what's called a unit assessment, and I have answers for that as well. So you have a Student success guide. You have a teacher's edition, and you have a unit assessment. So you have all those, and you're good. What I would suggest: put a physical book in your child's hand. E-learning is fine. I my book is on tape now. It's coming out in about a month. I, I even have e-books, which okay, I, I'm not really for them, but I know people. I don't want to read it like that. That's fine. But put a physical book in your hand. The five senses that we're blessed with are given to us for a reason. Putting a physical book in your hand speaks volumes to the mental, soul, mind, and body. There's a lot of – and go on YouTube and research touch on how the effects are of touching a book. Google that. Touch it, touching a book. Wow. How powerful. You start – your knowledge starts to your, – your knowledge starts, L.A., with just touching the book. It's powerful. I, 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 just, saw that, I just saw something like that the other day. And it's funny because I've been thinking about it. Because, you, know, you know, I'll give you an example. Let me, let me say this really quick. I know you're short on time. In the, in the, in the Bible, I'm, I'm sorry, in, in church, people have told me – I remember old ministers were telling me, I would say, well, Elder so-and-so, what do I, learn, what do I read in the Bible? What should, what should I do? They, they, you know, they would tell me, say a prayer, put your hand on top of the Bible, and just open it. Meaning – I heard that meaning, before. You'll find it. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Ellie, Ellie, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. There was something powerful about putting your mind right with it, coming, becoming one with the story that you're about to read and then opening the book deep with that. That's deep. And, and so we keep giving these books, these, 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 these digital books and everything. You ain't helping these kids. Put a book in your hand. Put a physical book. The five senses are, are given to us for a reason. That's if right. you dummy us out with that, we ain't going to have them, buddy. We're gonna be ro- people going to be robots. That's right. It's not going to work for us. Yeah. It's not going to work for us, bro. And the learning is, is robotic at this point because of that. Come on, man. Yeah. You're right. Come you're on, absolutely man. Come right. on, man. Come on, man. Well, we, we, we're gonna, we can't afford that, bro. We can't. We can't. And you talk about apocalypse. Oh, my God. You, you, <sighs> you, on, being, you, you get your Negro Domus points because you have been talking about this for quite some time. So uh, I know that for a fact. Hoove, I love you, man. Appreciate you. Be safe. Uh, I'll talk too, with you very, very soon. We'll get you on next week and talk some you, more about this, okay? My pleasure, my brother. Take Be care. Safe, man. All right, man.
out of here. <laughs> Yo, Mel.
welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM and uh, Carver on Chapel Hill. We thank them for uh, broadcasting the bad boy uh, several days a week now. Um, I'm L.A. Bachelor, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us if you have a question or comment. Chat room is open online if you're listening there. Uh, and, of course, uh, you can hear the rebroadcast of any of our shows at the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com. Go to the phones. Bring in my good friend and uh, editor in chief of the Black Athlete Sports uh, Newsroom. He is Tony T Mac McLean and T. Hope you had a good weekend, sir. Well, it didn't snow, so I'm good. Yeah. Well, yeah. I told you. I tell you all the time. I don't miss those days. I do not miss those days. I'll take the 40 degrees here all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to start with the passing of uh, Herb Cross, who, you know, not only played in the NFL, was a pretty good defensive back uh, player for about a decade, but um, also was uh, uh, part of that team on CBS, the sports team, uh, the NFL Today. And not only he was a integral part of it, it, you know, he was a pioneer at, at that that position in terms of uh, on the air, being the uh, first black full time sports analyst on national television. Uh, you know, dying at 81 years young. And talk about him, and you know, a, a lot of guys like him kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, when you you ha- have let's say quote unquote higher profile athletes that pass on or guys who transcend from um, the uh, football field or the sports uh, world and then go into broadcasting, but talk about cross because that was um, unheard of when he got started with them. And see, also it was a completely different time in the sense of you know you didn't have. You know, you didn't have the ESPNs and the Fox Sports News. Um, you know, you didn't have as much uh, sports. I mean, you had it, but you didn't have it on that. There wasn't that 24-7, 365 feeding frenzy that you have now. Um, he, you know, truth be, you know uh, truth be told, two people who helped, who inspired me to get into this business one was Bryant Gumble and another was Eric Cross. So um, it was a little tough, you know, hearing the news about him passing away yesterday. But that was back in the day when pregame, you know, when the pregame show, that was, that was the preeminent uh, pregame show, not just in football, but probably in all of sports. Because at that time, CBS Sports was, on the level of like ESPN because they had the NBA, they had the NFL, uh, they had a little, they had a little, they had their own little wide world of sports show called Sports Spectacular where they would do uh, boxing and track and other Olympic sports. But um, yeah, that was you know the NFL today basically um, paved the way for all the pre and post game shows that we have now, unfortunately they've all um, have gotten a little worse in my opinion, but that's, that's another conversation in and of itself. But yeah. um, Yeah. He, uh, he gets lost in the shuffle. 
because, again, it was that pre-1979 whatever, and people, you know, unless you're of a certain age, excuse me, you don't, um, you don't relate or you can't relate to that period of time. You know, what's, what's really weird is I remember trying to pretend like I was him uh, in a studio. Needless to say, I didn't think I was going to take that path, but I just enjoyed him and enjoyed the show. And, you know, I would try to do this, you know, you're looking live and then I'm, I'm breaking it down. I, I even feel like I kind of gravitated to when, when doing, you know, games um, to being a analyst rather than a play-by-play guy. And I think a lot of that was embedded in me with, with uh, Mr. Cross. So a uh, two-time pro bowler, spent uh, nine plus years in the NFL and, of course, uh, 23 years. Uh, with uh, CBS and all of the folks out there, the Musburgers of the world, are all, you know, paying homage and and condolences to his family. So um, and, and, we and the, uh, just crazy thing is Brent's the only one left because you know Phyllis George passed. Well, I'm sorry, you know Jane uh, Jane Kennedy as well. Um, but um, yeah, but yeah, uh, you know Phyllis George passed away a few years back. Of course, Jimmy the Greek uh, passed away as well. But yeah. Um, it's it's again. It's sort of like last year. We're losing we're losing more of our icons, and he definitely, uh, as far as I'm concerned, he was definitely an icon. Um, I guess he was, he was serving as um, AD for for a school. I forget the name of the school, but uh, I didn't realize he was a North a Northwestern grad till he uh, till I found when he, when he passed. I didn't realize he went to Northwestern. Right. I think he was uh, he. Um... 80 at Idaho State and then McAllister College, yeah, I think, yeah, in Minnesota. Yeah, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was a couple of, yeah, well, he was there. It, was, it, was in, it definitely had to be in Minnesota because uh, that's where he passed away. Him and his wife were, have been living in Minnesota over the uh, past few years. And, you know, he played with the Eagles and uh, did some time with the Rams. So he actually ended his career as a player coach. And then, um, you know, like a lot of these guys do, um, although he didn't, although, like you said, his wasn't, it wasn't as high profile. It wasn't as seamless as we see it now. It's almost, you know, it's almost become cliche now that guys, you know, go into the broadcast booth once their playing career is done. Some of them are already auditioning while they're playing, it, it seems. But yeah, he, um, he, you know, he, he was, he was definitely, like I said, on a personal note, he was definitely a big influence and me getting into uh, in, 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 into the media. Right. Play a little with the Eagles. I know the Eagles are sad and they uh, put out a statement, too, and a lot. And, um, uh, you know, he, he did get the Pete Rosell Radio Television Award in 2009, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And if people don't realize, like you said, at the time he got in, it, it will move on. But 1971, I believe, he started. And he yeah. he finished in '94, so he's seen a lot of changes in the world of sports, as, as especially as it relates to broadcasting. And '71 as a black man doing that 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 took took a lot of uh, guts, but he knew he was he was qualified. He knew he can get it done. I'm sure he went through all that stuff, but he still got it done. And you know, again, it's again, it's 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 a it's a different time because you know, look, let's face it. Football's still popular, but 
I've always felt like in the thing, you know, I might be a little biased. That's when I basically started learning the game. My my whole routine was always catching NFL films, and you know they also work together with NFL films uh, to do a lot of their features. If uh, if, if you remember, and, and again, it was a lot more of a simpler time. There wasn't that much. There wasn't that, for lack of a better word, there wasn't that frat boy mentality that you see now on a lot of these pre and post game shows. These you know. It was meat and potatoes. I mean, you looked forward to watching the NFL today, uh, every Sunday before and after, before, during and after the games. You know, um, they they were a little ahead of their time in a sense with um, um, Jimmy the Greek, you know, being there. And, and now we see just how huge gambling, um, the gambling aspect is on the game. I mean, it's shameless now compared to uh, doing it in sort of hushed tones back in the day. But yeah, it's it's. The NFL today was must-see TV, and a matter of fact, I think if you go on YouTube, you can see some of their old shows, and you get a, and you get, and it gives you sort of a sense of, um, you know, what that what that show was, and also you got to remember, you know, CBS was, you know, you know, they were sharing it with CBS, NBC, and of course ABC with Monday Night Football, but. Um, they sort of set they they set them they clearly set themselves apart from what NBC had, um, you know, on back in the day. It was like I said, I, I you know, I you know, I, I made it a point to watch it every week. Mm, yeah, and, and just to 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 add, uh, Musburger, who's uh, I think he's with OK Sports. I think that's where he he's with now, but. Um, and you know, getting up there in, in age, himself said Irv was one of the finest gentlemen I've been with. We met at Northwestern, where I, Irv played both ways with Coach Barcesian. Uh, he later became my goal to mainstay um, on the NFL today. No one ever had a bad thing to say about Irv. He led the way for African Americans to host the NFL and other sports shows. Rest in peace, my friend. And then, a uh, great Coleman, the first black punter. Uh, said so ha- sad to hear a passing of Herb Cross. Um, this man, uh, a true broadcast pioneer, when there were so few people of color on the set of NFL pregame shows. He is a legend and someone who I knew as a friend. Went on to say prayers go out to his wife and son, the entire Cross family. Rest in peace, my brother. Uh, Fifteen. Uh, the eight, eight of 15 children survived by his wife, Liz, their uh, children, Susan, Lisa, Matthew, and Sarah. So de- definitely wanted to mention him because, like you said, because of the class he was and, and because it was, he was very um, underrated in his craft and, and, and when he, he started his craft. So definitely. Um, want to switch gears to baseball, and uh, I want to ask you, about Francisco Lindor, everybody's uh, from. I've read about five or different articles of um, what's you know spring baseball being back, spring training, and um, you know this guy Tony. It, it's it's one thing to be a talent, but you know you got a lot of a holes that are talented. This guy's a classy mm-hmm. guy, and he's got this life about him. I mean, and it's it's not just the excitement on the on the field where he just brings all that energy. From all accounts, he brings that energy in the locker room. So talk about him 
what he means as a leader in the locker room and and how talk about underrated how underrated that is to have a special player like him and be a classy guy to lead a locker room well in many ways he's probably the the most unique player the Mets will ever suit up for the Mets and I say that in the sense of you know he has the he has the talent of, say, like a Seaver. He has sort of the aura of a strawberry. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 you know the Mets have never really had anybody like that in their history. You know, the, the, you know, the thing, you know, those early years, the most, you know, the most identifiable person in, in for, the, for the Mets for the longest time was uh, Casey Stengel. And, you know, that's because they don't get all that losing and everything. Uh, even the 69 Mets, uh, it was a collective, you know, it's, you know, uh, Hodges is getting, you know, gets a lot of credit, of course, Seaver, as I, I mentioned, and others. But there wasn't really a singular guy. Of course, you know, when Doc and Strawberry were there, you know, they had a they had a way about them as well. Same thing with, like, Gary Carter and uh, Hernandez to a certain extent. But, he, you know, they're getting him still at the top of his game, you know, Bob Knockwood. Um, he's, you know, he is, if he's not the best shortstop in the game, he has to be mentioned in the same breath. But that's the thing. Uh, a leader, he's, you know, he's one of these guys where you could rally, where the team could rally around. And to the Mets' credit, they had some guys who were somewhat like that. You know, a lot has been made about Alonzo. Um, and uh, DeGrom sort of keeps to himself or whatever, but I think him coming there is going to sort of maybe bring some guys out of their shell, and a lot of it I think it has to do with the fact of the, the commitment to winning. This is, you know, and speaking as a Met fan but also as a journalist as well, he's he's going to fit that franchise like a glove because – even in the years where they've been, where they've done well or have been competitive, there was sort of, sort of a yeah about them. Now you know, you know, it, it's beyond the smile and all that other stuff. The guy can play, the guy can play, and also he's a leader. It it begs you to wonder, you know, why Cleveland didn't want to build around him. All those years, again, again, that's, that's probably another two-hour conversation in and of itself. But he brings them something that they've never had before, and I think that's why everybody is um, looking forward to it. Because this is, you know, when they brought in Hernandez, you know, that was the beginning of the, you know, what what they thought was going to be the dynasty of the '80s. Um, now, Hernandez was a little older when they brought him in. Lindor is still relatively young, so barring injury, barring whatever, he's going to be there for a while, and he's going to be, um, you know, he's going to be the face of, you know, he's going to be the face of the franchise as far as I'm concerned. I know there's going to be a lot of folks that may try to save DeGrom or um, Alonzo, but, you know, Lindor, as far as I'm, you know, Lindor, has will be has become the face of the franchise. It will become the face of the franchise if everything goes the way it should. 
You know, he's got a little Ricky Henderson type of flair. I mean, the, the color hair, of course, but it, it, that energy, he it, he's got presence. When he comes on the field, you know, you feel like something big is going to happen or he's going to make something happen. But I heard someone uh, mention uh, I was listening to Sirius Satellite, and they, they were trying to say they rem- he reminds them of Lenny Dykstra. Um. And I, you know, I understand the yeah, grit yeah, part yeah, that, and all that kind of stuff, but that's a reach. That's a, that's a hell of a reach. That's a, a hell, hell of a reach. reach. Yeah, it's not, it's, they're not even, they're not even, I mean, they're not even the same kind of players. You know, there's a right. different, you know, it, it's, uh, but see, you know what? I think it speaks more to the, the, the person who made the analogy than it does to uh, Lindor. And, and also, um, and, and a lot of it has to do with the franchise. A lot of people just, you know, they still sort of, you know, they want to, they use the Mets. You know, I'll just come out and say, he's probably a Yankee fan. He's probably a jealous-ass Yankee fan because they had a chance to get him as well, and they didn't. So now what you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing a lot of non-Met fans almost, you know, I mean, literally, uh, it's, it's like the society of ex-girlfriends in a sense. Of seeing Lindor because they you know you're, I've already heard of you know, oh they they won't sign him he's probably gonna be there just for the one year and and and, and what have you, um, so be it, so be it I I you know, I um, I do think that they'll sign him I think that I think the plan is to sign him, and Conforto, and to go from there now again I'm gonna say I'll say what I had said earlier. They're not winning the World Series this year. There's still there's still work that needs to be done on this team. Are they contenders? Have they got made themselves better? Oh hell yeah! When you're able to add an all-star catcher, an all-star uh, shortstop, and other things, you're doing okay. I'm I'm still not crazy about the bullpen now, especially with uh, Seth Lugo being out for about four or five weeks as well. But no, I'll come right out and say it. They're not going to win the World Series this year, but they're going to be a hell of a lot better than last year. Let's put it this way. If they finish under 500 this year, um, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah, they'll be looking at the at the manager. But, you know, the, the thing is, um, as you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned how, you know, these uh, jealous Yankee fans. You know, you got Francisco Lindor. We got Brett Gardner. So... <laughs> yeah, but you know, but 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 you know, to be to be look, to be fair, Brett Gardner is is, is small potatoes, you know. But you you know don't you know now remember you do have Urshela, you do have um, other young players on there. So 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 you know and you know don't don't you know the don't don't play the no, you know, but, but don't play don't play the war with don't play the war with me role here now just because you know I you no know, no no I'm not Brett playing Gardner. the war I'm not. No, Tony, I'm not doing that. What I'm bringing out of is this This feels like daddy doing something like this or bringing somebody in because he's a fan favorite who's hitting 230 or whatever. That's what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. We don't yeah, need to be going back to that kind of stuff. Yeah, but see, but see, but see the difference. See, it's different now because, see, the different, you know, when, when the old man was there. See, he would all see – in the in some Yankee fans' minds, they could have both Lindor and Gardner. Now that they just have Gardner, but see, 
again, they already have established good players there. Uh, it is, you know, it is kind of weird that they did to see. I'll be honest with you. Where do you play this guy? I mean, Frazier, Frazier if, if you're serious about winning this year, Brett Gardner's maybe your eighth outfielder. But I'm telling you. you know, but you know, but but you know, you know what? Whatever. It's it's but the it's something you know. Let's, let's be honest. Ain't nothing new with the uh, with the Yankees. That's something new. They they you know they've been doing this for years. You know, bringing in you know, bringing yeah. in guys or what have. But see, now it could be a lot of it. It could be it could be just a whole Crash Davis sort of deal in a sense with um, having him be a mentor too. Because um, there is so much hype with this kid Dominguez about how he's supposed to be the next one. Right. And, you know, he's an outfielder as well. But, again, where are you going to fit him in at? Because, I mean, bar, you know, barring something ridiculous, it's basically Frazier, Hicks, and um, Frazier, Hicks, and Judge in the outfield, right? Yo, that, yeah. that's a I would think that's going to be your opening day uh, outfield, and you know, barring barring injury, Stanton is probably going to take the bulk of the DH roles. I mean, I know I know you need backup guys, but I you know you've got that kid Couchman, who was doing yeah. well before his uh, his foot hurt, got got hurt, and uh, like I said, you got this you know you have um, this kid waiting in the wings. I mean, let's put it this way. If Joe Girardi was still managing the team, I could see the move. But, but again, you know what? Oh, hey, uh, nothing we haven't nothing we haven't seen before with the Yankees. Yeah, he's the eighth outfielder on a six outfield team. This way, I don't think he lasts the whole season. Yeah, I'd be shocked. I'd They'll be probably shocked cut him once he's hitting. I'd, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. If he if he if he plays out the entire season this year, he may because he he may he may quit seeing that hey I'm not really going to get that much playing time. So, but yeah, it's 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 you know I, again they figure they could you know you know bring him back for whatever. But hey, small but yeah, it's end of the day it's small potatoes. You got to you know you got to worry about whether you got a you got a, a, a halfway decent pitching staff before the year is over with. Yeah, uh, just back to uh, Lindor and Nate, uh, J.D. Davis was talking about how he's the first one in, last one out. You know, he works on his craft. He expects guys to work on their craft. Davis said, quote, you feed off off it right away, end quote. You know, um, and you need that kind of guy. You know, that's why I said you just with him, you feel like something big is going to happen when he's on the field, you know, in crucial situations. So, um, and, you know, you big know, ups to him. You don't need a, you know, he, you know, you a lot of time, you know, that whole speak softly and carry a big stick. That's 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 the whole thing with him. And you don't necessarily yep. need a, you know, a guy that's going to do a lot of talking or or or, or what have you. Now, having said all this, knowing how the New York media is, somebody's going to take a shot at him before the year. Whether it be the fans or whether it be somebody in the media or what have they're going to find it because, see, here's the thing, and I know people are going to whatever with this. If you remember when Bobby Bonilla came in 
years ago. You know, there was a lot of optimism and everything like that. One of the things that people forget, you know, he's getting, you know, there was a part during the introductory news conference, you know, you know, Bobby Bonilla was, a, you know, sort of a, you know, free spirit to a certain extent. And one of the lines he said in his news conference was, you're never going to knock this smile off my face. And I swear to you, I think from day one, the New York media literally went out of their way to try to knock the smile off of his face. Now, he didn't help by not playing very well, but it seems as though, and, and even, you know, and even, you know, when they have the, you know, the Bobby Bonilla day every year when, when he gets, when he gets the big payout, everybody always points back to that. And it, it seems like they were more content on knocking the smile off of his face as opposed to, well, let's see if we can do something here. And, right. you know, the cynic, the cynic in me says, you know, everything's cool right now, but you watch. At, at some point this year, they're going to try to make Lindor out to be, you know, everything but the child of God, if, especially if, 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 they, uh, if they should, you know, struggle. And a lot of that has to do with the BS of the, um, the New York tabloids. And, and they notice they never say New York media. It's always the tabloids because – Again, like that whole reference I made to about, you know, society of uh, ex-girlfriends, that's what a lot of these guys do. They like to be, you know, blank disturbers instead of, you know, you know, really appreciating what, 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 what's there. Yeah, and, and just, you know, just wiping the smile off a guy's face, uh, especially a, a, a person of color, is always seems to be, something they want to do. He why is he so happy? Why is he, you know, and oh, I mean, what is he, who does he think he is? You know, that kind of thing. That's yeah, um, that's you know, that's and, and again, I am not trying to defend Bobby Bonilla because Bobby, you know, you know Bobby was a bust, unfortunately. But see, I had my own my 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 biggest complaint was they told Strawberry we can't pay you. And then they paid Bonilla more than what Strawberry was asked. So yep. yeah, that was that was my that was my biggest complaint with with, with Bobby. It was more management. Now and now, now the fact that he didn't you know didn't play well there that just that just added to it. But yeah, it was to me it, uh, it was always more management than anything else because they cried poor for Strawberry and literally gave. Um, Bonilla twice as much as what Strawberry was after, and are still paying. Yeah, and 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 you think about it too, real, real quick. Um, if a real journalist can be objective and be critical of a guy not performing, you could. That's what your job is. You you can say, hey man, what's the problem? You're only hitting two thirty. What's going on here? And you can you can write about that, but don't write about it and because and, and not be objective because he don't want to talk to you or he smiles too much or he he he's grumpy or whatever the case may be. And it's it's always that side stuff, never about what's what they're doing on the field or on the court. I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example. Kevin McReynolds. Now. Oh yeah. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't crazy about the trade because I loved uh, Kevin Mitchell, but I also knew 
what kind of player uh, Kevin McReynolds was. But see, Kevin McReynolds was a quiet, you know, country guy and all, all the other stuff. And I will never forget two days, two days into his tenure, you had folks saying, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. Really? Now, he wound up putting up some real good – now, his whole thing was at the end of the season, he was going to go back down to Arkansas and hunt and fish. Okay, more power to him. And it wasn't that crazy about talking with the New York media. So, of course, they had to, you know, label him as a country bumpkin and, and all this other stuff. Now, mind you, he was a perfect yin to Strawberry's Yang while he was there. And, oh, by the way, they got to the playoffs with him as well. But, oh, he's just a grump. He, you know, he's, you, know you don't want to talk to him about it. It's, it's funny. And, see, it's always funny how certain guys like that can be embraced because, and, again, I'm not going to compare him in talent-wise, but it's funny how they embraced a quiet country kid on the other side of the river for so many years even though he wound up being a drunk and basically killed himself prematurely because of his drinking. And that's being, of course, Mickey Mantle. And, you know, there are movies and songs and books and whatever about Mickey Mantle. And I'm not saying they're going to do that with Kevin McReynolds, but it's like, why must there always always be a a BS narrative or whatever if if the guy doesn't want to talk or whatever, you know, again, it's, you know, and see, this has been going on for years in New York, and, you know, they sort of, they sort of try and pick and choose who they're going to be good and bad, but, you know, not to go to a too long of a rant, but even now, you've got people trying to trade Julius Randle, and I'm like, he's the best player right now. Why on God's earth would you want to trade him now? And you got you got fans buying into that thing. Oh well, he's you know he's no superstar. And, and, and your point. So 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 you want to trade him because he's not a superstar. Now now look, if you got a problem with him wearing uh, thirty, I get it because I'm a Bernard I'm, I'm I'm a Bernard fan too. Matter of fact, uh, when he was named to the All Star. They recreated the picture of the King of New York with him wearing the crown and wearing Bernard's number 30. Now, personally, the person who took that picture or the person uh, whose idea was to take that picture clearly doesn't know anything about Nick history. Now, as great a player as uh, Julius Randall is, he is not Bernard King. But I don't say that to beat him up. I'm just saying that in the history of the Knicks, and in you know, he's not he's not uh, Bernard, not yet, but you know, hey, he's doing well. But see, I say all that to basically say it's like, why can't you allow this? You know, whenever there's something good, it seems like there's always got to be someone that has to piss on the parade. And so far, so good because it's in spring training. You know you're gonna get you know you're gonna get all the you know Mr. Happy uh, comments, but at some point this year, even if it's going good or especially if it's going to be going bad, 
they're going to go after they're going you know they're going to go out and try to take the smile off of his face yep and, that's what and, they and, do when and who does it and who does it help who does it help to do all of that it's just ridiculous uh that they do that and and I'm you done, know, I'm done, I'm, done, speaking, I'm done ranting. I'm done ranting for both the Mets and the Knicks. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> well, well, speaking of the the Knicks, I mean, I know it's only 35 games, and I know you know it's a waiting see for you. But I mean, they haven't been over 500 after 35 games in quite some time. And I've been saying Randall, he's just been a, a victim of circumstances. But this kid can play. He played in Kentucky. They, he just got injured and they moved him around the Lakers gave up on him this guy can play and and I think that the Knicks they're winning games on the road in in situations they shouldn't even win so you know sitting at you know fourth place in the conference right now um not bad not bad I mean yeah someone if someone if someone had told you a year ago the Knicks would have the fourth best record in the east you would have said um, you know, I, I have a jacket you might want to wear um, to to go with that. But the thing, the thing after I, I start, like after I stop laughing too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, and now a lot. You know, again, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the East is not as strong as the West. But with that being said, you still, you know, you have some good teams. And yeah, let's put, put, put it put it let's put it this way. The 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 thing that I like the most now, I thought they were taking a step back when they brought in uh, Derrick Rose because I'm like, oh god, another expensive guy that's going to whatever. But to Derrick Rose's credit, he is he has perfectly played the mentor role, and I'm hoping that you know. And and see again, I, I got to stay off of these blogs and all these other uh, Nick fan things because they're already trading happening. You know, uh, uh, people want Barrett traded. Uh, they want to, you know, people, people have got a hard on for Bradley Beal. I like Bradley Beal, but you know what? I think they got their next uh, point guard of the, of, the, of the future. And his name is Quigley. And I want to build around him. I don't want. I mean, because it, you know, Bradley Bill's Bradley Bill is he's he's the glamour uh, guy. That's what that's what the Knicks want to do, or I mean, the fans want to do. You know, he putting up forty, fifty points like that. That they want the glamour guy. They don't want the guy who could be their future. They want the guy who's putting up fifty points tonight, and because he has to, by the way, for a here's, horrible here's team. Yeah. So that's here's the deal. Here's the deal. The biggest lie in sports is well you can't rebuild in New York. What the hell have you been the last twenty years? The Knicks are on exactly. the Knicks are on the twentieth year of their five year rebuilding plan. You know, I mean that's just to be honest. They the Knicks have been the Knicks have been rebuilding so many times that I can't even I can't even keep up anymore. The one great thing that I like about this team is that there is a core. There is a young core. Randall, you know, other than other than um, D Rose, the young, you know, the, the the grizzled veteran, so to speak, is Randall, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that everybody's sort of given up on him over the years and not really allowed him 
to flourish. Now he is on a team where they're, where they're um, allowing him to flourish, and they're getting results. And to me, I, you know, it has been so long since they have had a young base. Between Randall, Barrett, Quigley, Noel, Obi Toppin, I'll throw in Nikila because I'm not ready to give up on him quite yet. They have probably the best young nucleus they have had in the last 40, 50 years. And they can build Wow, that's saying a lot. It's been, I mean, you probably got to go back to when they brought in, like, um, Clyde and uh, and Bill, and Bill, but you got to go, I mean, you got to go back. It's been so long since they've had a young, where, where the core of this team is, is like, you know, in that 25 to 30 age range, you know, they're getting, you know, and, and, and in this case, they're probably young. And remember, quick, you know, remember Toppin was supposed to be the guy. Quigley was a, Quigley was, a, was an afterthought and he's arguably the best rookie on the team. Yeah, and you get and you get guys like Noel. Uh, you bring back um, uh, uh, you bring back guys like Taj, and and other guys that I mean, I've been like I said, I've I've been very hesitant to whatever because they look, they're a work in progress. Even if by some stretch of the imagination they finish or either get to the All Star break with the fourth best record. In the uh, in in the East, they're a work in progress. Even you know, Thibodeau. You know, I, I, I was a few times. I actually watched the post game show afterwards. Because usually when the game ends, I you know go whatever. But I just I wanted to watch. Let me just. I, I wanted to hear what they had to say because the thing about last night was you know they had won the night before at the Garden, and they basically they didn't get into Detroit until like two in the morning yesterday and if there was ever a game where they could have mailed it in they didn't they they uh, and yes detroit's the worst team in the league but still that's what you do if the knicks had lost that that's game that's my point yep. if the knicks had lost that game you know oh same old knicks same old knicks and again there's still a whole full season to go there's still another 18 20 games to go but that being said and- I'm very, I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm more optimistic about the Knicks than I are about the Mets, to be quite honest with you. Mm, that's saying, that's saying a lot. But you know, um, again, just as I had mentioned to you, um, the, the start of the season, I, I just felt like Thibodeau would be the right guy um, for for the franchise. And putting it together, let's let's hope he doesn't run people out of town and get on people's nerves that's, like that's he does. Only, see, that was, that was the only, um, that's the only thing I was worried about. But so far, so good, and they're listening to him, and 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 that says a lot. That 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 says a lot. I you know, even when Patino, you know, the only thing I could compare it to is like when Patino came in, and you know, he was screaming like a madman on the sidelines as well. But see. They had, they didn't have as many young. I mean, this is, I mean, this is like kindergarten class. But I like, but I, right. but I, but I and you got, 
And, and I was going to say, you got a Thibodeau who coached in a major market. I think the time off he took away from the game, he understood, look, I need to change up and, and adjust yeah. my style a little bit. Then you yeah. got D-Rose, Julius Randle, who played in big markets. So they're not starstruck, if you will. And they can exactly. mentor the guys, like you said. So they're in a good spot, Tony. I mean, they're in a really good spot. Um, and even, like you said, that even if they don't – you know, make the playoffs, or if they finish a 500 or or a couple of games over 500 in this East, they probably will make it um, uh, that way. But the sky's the limit with them moving forward. It really is. I, you know, let's put it this way: for them to finish fourth means you get home field for the first for the first round, and that's you know, and you know. And, and, you know Home field in 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 this COVID time, you, we still don't really know how good or bad that that is. I, I would tend to think it's a good thing because see, because look, everything you know, every little thing that they do moving forward is 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 important. Because see, here's my thing: getting the best record in the East don't mean nothing to me. Winning the division doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I want to, I want to hear the words the New York Knicks are world champions one more time. That's 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 what I'm hanging on for. I look, you know, I have a picture in my phone of the two banners, and it looks like they've been it. it they look so damn lonely because it's been so long <laughs> since 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 they've you know raised the. I mean, the freaking Rangers have won a. a the freaking Rangers have won and have been to Stanley Cup Finals since the Knicks last won. I just want to, you know, I've seen, you know, look, I've been I've been running around long enough to see the the Mets win it a couple times. I just want to see the Knicks win it one more time. That's all. I I I, I that 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 that's all I would really care for. I mean, you know, I'm not now. Say, if everything, you know, if if everything progresses, then you'll say, this way, if they make the playoffs this year. That's great. That's 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 wonderful. If they, it's a, it's a progression. If it's the sort of thing where they're say the sixth or seventh seed, that's fine. To see, here's the thing. The only thing you know, I think a, I think a game and a half separates four through seven right now, and I think they're taking the top eight. If I, I'm sorry, they're taking the top ten uh, this year. They're gonna have seven. I think I have seven play nine. I'm seven play ten. And eight play nine as the play in. That's going to be this year's plan, and then um, go from there. If they can, let's put it this way: if they don't have to be in the play in games, then that's then that will be great. That will be that will be great. I don't know if they're the. Let's put it this way: do I think they're the fourth best team in the East? No, no, no. I think their teams. I think they're. Probably about five, maybe six teams better than them. But if they, if if, if the record says that they're the fourth, you know, if they finish the year, albeit um, you know, some whatever, if they finish it, if they finish fourth, take it, take it and run with it. But um, still, well, still a lot to go. Still a long way to go. Though. I, still a long way to go. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I say maybe Miami and Boston. You could say that. But uh, Toronto's well, not the well, same. Charlotte, we know, is not good. Well, um, that, and the Pacers that, there's are that, bulls. There's that, there's, 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 there's that team up the road, though, you know. 
Well, no, I'm saying it's you. Uh, you say you had said if they're the fourth best team, uh, probably not. But you think six more teams are better? I probably would say Miami and Boston. Everybody else, I think the Knicks are better. At. Um, and you're right; they've taken the ten teams, um, and then they have the playing game. And the Knicks right now four and a half out, five in the loss column to uh, to Philly and uh, four four to that other team. Yeah, yeah, four, four. No, 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 I can see it. But a, a buddy of mine texted me. He said, "You know, they're only four and a half away from the top five. Said, Shut the hell up, will you? Can you take more to be happy? <laughs> Look, put it, put it this way: a dream scenario would be them taking on uh, the Nets as the eighth seed and and sending them home in five games." Yeah, that just would because, be something, especially with because, uh, with uh, Kevin Durant getting hurt all year. Well, it's you know, so you know, look, they look on on the surface they look like they were, and the thing about it is they the bulk of this win streak has been without him there. That speaks volume. That speaks volume. Cause see, cause again. The, I, I, I will say this again. I know I sound like an idiot when I say this. Pressure's not on Kyrie. Pressure's not on uh, um, um, the beard. Pressure's not on Katie. Pressure's on Steve Nash. Steve Nash has got to bring this in. You're right. Yep. They assembled assembled this this uh, all star mm-hmm. t- team, um, and I don't blame the Nets for going for broke because. God, they've been so bad for so long. They well, said, the, "Hey, we just they, gonna throw it out there." When they went for it before, it was with bad intentions. And maybe this is a pretentious Nick fan say, but see, they were so intent on trying to be the best team in New York, and I'm like, that all? <laughs> that all? Well, let's just try to be the best team. Yeah. And you can see, like I, you know. Like I tell, I you know, I, I I tell you just like I tell a lot of Yankee fans, I don't want to be the best team in New York. I want to be the best team in baseball. I want to I want to parade in October. You you, you want to be the best team in New York? Fine, go right ahead. Take Bronx, Brooklyn, Staten Island too. <laughs> I want to parade. <laughs> I want to parade. That's right. You know, but that's the thing. It's it's it's. I think the Nets. I think with this, the Nets are committed to trying to win it all, not just trying to win the city, and that's the difference now. But it just so happens that, you know, you know, you may have to fight for the city a little bit before the year is over. Yeah, you and you know all the 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 numbers and everything go up when they play now, especially with them both. You know, having well, some success and, and well, see, what, what, see the thing is, as of right now, I think they only have one. I think they only have one scheduled national game for the rest of the season. Now, now the second half of the schedule is supposed to come out soon, and you know how they like to reject now. Now, I think if they start more winning more, you know, you'll start to see them. But see, look. Me and the six other guys are going to be watching them every other every every night anyway. You know, we've been you know, I was watching them during I was you know, I've been watching them the last few years. Like um, 
I always give them about a month. And then I see, you know, basically when they grab last place and dare anybody to take it from them, that's why I'm like, okay, I'm done now. But I'm still watching now. And see, by this time last, well, by this was what they hadn't won their 18th game until the 60th game. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're there. You know, they broke, they, they literally broke it down last night where they, um, a year ago at this time, they were um, four under. Now they're two over. And most importantly, you know, fourth overall in, 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 the, in the conference, which is, you know, which is, because when I first saw it, I was like, I think, because when I last looked at the standings, they were like seven or seven, eight. But then I, you know, I looked at it again, and then and they were, you know, going into, you know, going into the things that, as of right now, the Knicks have the fourth best record in the East. And now, granted, you know, the other teams are like a game, game or a half behind them, but fourth in the East, man, please. Yeah, it's, it's a long time. We said that after after uh, thirty five games or so. Um, Tony, let me switch gears real quick. A couple other uh, quickies. I'll go back to baseball before we end. Um, But, you know, uh, go to the NFL and you see, um, you know, the Houston Texans hiring uh, David Culley. He's been in the league for a long time. He coached in college Mm -hmm. and came came from Baltimore and Pittsburgh. He coached a, a lot of different places. And this 65-year-old man gets his job, and congratulations to him. But there's two points I want to bring up. And and I know, listen, if you're getting a job after somebody got fired, either the, the uh, coach was horrible or you don't have talent. They have some talent on offense, and the coach is horrible. They they stand to, to get some talent on that, that horrible defense. But this, this franchise uh, – just lets J.J. Watt, I know he wanted out. They get, let him go. They traded him to Arizona today. Was it a signing or was it a trade? I mean, it's a signing, but he wanted out. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And Watson, meanwhile, Watson feels like he's in jail. He wants out because they won't give him the weapons he needs. So now you got a, a a quarterback that I'm sure he'll be professional if he's still there to start the season, but not happy. And and then you have a coach that's coming in to a bunch of mess, and and you know a team that's in disarray. So mm-hmm. it, it's good he you know he's only the first, uh, only black one that got hired this year, because. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the, the, the guy that went to the Jets is Lebanese, and they bring all that mm-hmm. Muslim, they bring all that up and stuff. But he's the right. only one that gets hired out of the, the pennies of, of, of black coaches we have in the league, and he mm-hmm. goes into the situation where it's just ter- turmoil. Now, if you got a franchise quarterback like Watson under you, you have some kind of fighting chance, but he's a, he's mm-hmm. an a, he's a, a disgruntled guy. He wants to leave. So it's just it's just it's it's all phases of this particular situation with this particular franchise seem to be really screwy. That's going to be the boil on the ass of their life until they trade him. Bottom line. 
They need to see because having him there literally is like a one is like a like a one legged man with an ass kicking contest right now. You know, you you know, you bet you know and none of this is his fault. I don't you know, personally I think uh T J actually does well down there in uh in uh in Arizona. The biggest question is is you gonna get ten games out of him. But that's again that's another story in and of itself. But um Yeah. You know, I mean we're at the point now where we have to like almost put out, you know, remember the old free Huey Newton uh thing? Free Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, free Deagle Malley now, man. Please. You know what I mean? You know, and, 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 you, know you, you know he broke it up anyway. You know. But see, but see again, it speaks, well, see, it, again, it keeps speaking more to how they look at black quarterbacks. No, you're going to stay here. Now, now mind you, That's right. he's coming up. Now, see, as disgruntled as he, quote, unquote, was, he had a Pro Bowl season. Yep. So they were but like Cam the in the early days, they don't. They won't get. They t- even the wide receiver. I mean, he has no offensive line. But even the wide receivers, they let go. Now one got in trouble with the steroids and stuff. But but they they let they let arguably the best, if not the top three wide receiver in the game, just go. Um, yeah, and for, 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 I understand for, people want to not even not even a half a bag of cream of wheat. Right, and uh, so now Watt joins him in Arizona. But again, some people point out, well, you know, Watt wasn't under under contract, but they they could have offered it, right? They but he Man. just said, I want out. Okay, you're gone. Sean yeah. says, I want out. No, you staying here. You stuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. And 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 to be honest with you. How many games is uh, how many games has Watt missed over the last three four years? That's what I'm saying. You hit it on the nose. I don't think he's gonna play. He's not gonna play all this. He he stay. He's been hurt every year for the last five years probably. But see so, the thing. But see and missed the, the whole thing, year. You know, but you know what? The thing in his favor, you don't have to play a full season there. He's there. He's there. He's he's there. To a certain, it's sort of like you know. To a certain extent, it's like um, D Rose coming to the Knicks. They're not looking. For, they're not looking for the defensive player of the year. They're looking for somebody to mentor them kids. And if you can get uh, a couple I, of sacks, I think a couple he... of tickets or whatever. I mean, this way. I know what you're saying, and, and I agree with you. If you put, I know if 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 I'm the Cardinals, I'm putting in an incentive. You've got to give me ten games. We'll pay you X amount if you give us double digits in games. If you don't give us digit amounts in games, guess what? You ain't gonna get no money. To me, that's that's right. That's 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 the first. You know, if I'm negotiating it, when I need ten games, I need you to play at least double digits. I need twelve games from you for this to make sense. Because if I can't get twelve games from you, you might as well just go. You you you, you might as well just go do more uh, lousy uh, subway commercials. Yeah, they probably have that in, in the agreement. They'd be smart oh, to do so. Oh, oh, um, the thing I'm doing, and, and, and you don't need you don't you don't need to be a a, a capologist to say, hey, you don't, you got to give me twelve games. Got to give me twelve games. 
Yeah, and um, you know, it, it. I I think what you're saying is correct. You probably use him like the third down guy to rush the quarterback third and long, that kind of thing, and bring him in. I mean, if they he's, want to preserve him for the year, they better do it like that. <laughs> he's getting a he's getting a con. This is one of those he's getting a contract uh, strictly on reputation. That's the only yeah. reason why. Because because what. Is it even a? Is it a? How long is it? Is it a one-year deal, a two-year deal? Two-year, two-year deal. Two-year. Mm-hmm. But, but that second year is. I bet there's. I bet there's. I bet there's incentives up the yin yang for that thing too. Right, right. Got it. Uh, they haven't posted all of it, but yeah, it's definitely a two-year deal with a lot of incentives and bonuses yeah. in it. So. Yeah, man. I mean, it's 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 literally low risk, high reward. If he, if he, if you say, let's say he plays 12 games and you get maybe eight, nine sacks, it pays for itself. It pays for yeah, itself. it does. Especially the 12 games. Especially the 12 games. Now, he's in a warmer climate, well, playing indoors again. He's back on grass. He's on grass now. So mm-hmm. that should help. That should help. Well, if nothing else, David Culley's at least got a quarterback that he can rely on. If nothing else, <laughs> I mean, because Sean's going to be a pro. As I always say, for now, because because I think at I think I think at some point they're going to have to because I you know I don't think he's going to pull a bully badass on him, but I think that he's I, I think he's just going to be like. Y'all gonna make me stay here in this mess. I mean, yeah. I don't put this way. I don't think he's gonna be beating down the McNair's door every night saying, "Trade me, trade me, trade." But, but <laughs> yeah, it, but he I, he'll be a pro though. You know, he yeah, wants well, to win. Yeah, he's good he competitor. Already, he's already proven that he was. You know, you could make the argument about him being the second or third best quarterback, at the very least, second best quarterback in the AFC this past year, if not the best in the AFC right. this year. Right. He put up yep. He put up yep. He put up, I mean, chicken salad out of, you know what? And he was all, and they were always down. Weren't, weren't they, wasn't it like a league mandate that they were always down 17 when he, when he first got the ball? At least. And would bring him back with no yeah. defense, no offensive line, barely a running game, and he would just he'd be Superman, you know. Um, big fan of his, uh, and you know, uh, congratulations to David Cully, But meanwhile, no Eric Bennett be enemy with a job, and and this BS about well he only calls half the play. See, they just look for reasons. The dude you know That's can the coach. Same. That's the same. That's the same, forgive my friends, that's the same bullshit they said about Sherm Lewis. Yep. That's the same bullshit they said about Tony Dungy. That's the same bullshit they said about De- Dennis Green. I mean, get, you know, give us some new lies if you're going to lie about a guy, all right? And Dungy's, a, and look, Dungy's a perfect example because they switched it there. So the enemy and Reed are calling the plays together. That's the reason. When Dungy was in control, oh, but that's, you know, Peyton Manning, he's so smart. He's really the offense. He's calling all the plays. Look at the audibles. You know, 
So, I mean, you can't win. Like, you can't win. You're either going to be a great mm-hmm. coach. Uh, well, you're not no, really a great no, coach because no, you're not, not coaching at all. Now Caldwell, now, Caldwell went on and actually won in Detroit. And, he didn't know, and, and, and know. Lord knows he Lord knows he didn't have a he didn't have Manning didn't have a Manning there he didn't have a hell he could have had Archie and still wouldn't have um, wouldn't have, wouldn't have, would have won. But, and you know, the but thing see, is too the, same, I mean that's a perfect example of a guy mm-hmm. too Tony that's a perfect example of a guy a a, a, a great coach like Caldwell going into a play you don't win in Detroit Barry Sanders could win in Detroit but then they bring in this dude off the belt cheat tree and he mm-hmm. said some back 10 more years here's the here's here's all you need to know about jim caldwell a few years back an afc team that was in the race but they lost their quarterbacks coach and they brought in him to finish out the rest of the year all he did was help that certain quarterback get to the pro bowl and win a super bowl that team was the Baltimore Ravens, and the quarterback was Joe Flacco. When Joe Flacco That's did right. his money, when Joe Flacco did his money run, his quarterback's coach was Jim Caldwell. And so he, I remember uh, him mentioning him as uh, being, you know, influential and then um, over uh, Flacco uh, that Super Bowl year. I remember that. Sure, absolutely. They. They literally when he when he was brought in, that's when they, they they literally went on that run all the way to the Super Bowl. You know, if if anything, if if anything, Joe Flacco should name his 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 next of kin or whatever Caldwell. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, if at the very least, but Eric Bieniemy and so many others, but him that stands out the most. I mean, I I I would if I'm Eric, I'm like, you know what? I'm making a decent. I don't I don't want y'all job. You take it and shove it. I mean, it, well, I'm, only, if he was ever only, in that the position, only, to the, do only, so. the only saving the only saving grace is that you know if and or when um, Andy decides to hang it up, he probably gets an end. But see, we've seen this story before. Ask Willie Randolph. Willie Randolph was supposed to have been. Joe Torrey's um, inner parent. And then they brought back Mattingly. They brought back Mazzilli. They brought back Girardi. And really saw the writing on the wall. Oh, man, they, they yeah. were pushing me out. So when that met job came, he said, let me grab this job. And, 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 the, and the Yankees had the audacity to say, how dare you go to the other side of the, of the, of the river? What wait and, and, I know. and wait on y'all and wait on y'all like uh, like um, like a Rochester to a Jack Benny, come on y'all. And yeah, you're one of us, you know, and all that other stuff they like sure. to say, um, yeah, sure. you know. And you but, had, and you had yeah, but he's supposed to take this crap. And you had stupid ass Met fans saying, "Well, why are you bringing a Yankee here?" Uh, excuse me, mm-hmm. Dallas Green, uh, Casey Stingle, hello. Jeff oh, but they don't come. You know. Yeah, of course not. But it's it, you know it's 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 it, it gets it gets ridiculous after a while. Yeah, no different than when you know, straw straw and 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 
Dwight went to the Yankees. Then now you're a trader. And I mean, look, if they're going to get treated like, you know what, you know. Never appreciate um, him, you know. Then, never appreciate him when he was there. Put it this way. I will right. argue, uh, any Met fan within the sound of my voice, when the Mets were doing well, it was always Gary and Keith. When things were going bad, damn, Doc and Daryl. Yeah. Prove me, me wrong. Prove me wrong. And darn drugs, I'll tell you. Those guys, they just can't stay sober, you know. Hurting the, hurting the team, hurting the franchise. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, nobody, nobody, nobody's condoning their drug use. But right, I, I, you know, let's put it this way: cause and effect. And especially in New York, and we've and, and it's been well chronicled how we've talked about the BS in regards to the media and what have you. And I can hear somebody saying, "Oh, they make all kinds of." That doesn't take away the humanity just because they're making a couple bucks. Right. You'd act a fool. You'd probably be acting a fool too if you had a couple bucks. I know you would. But they don't. But you can't. Oh, it's the love of the game. They should. Where's their passion? Oh, you know, where's uh, you know, that junk they they well, say. Well, see, well, see, that's why. That's that's why. That's why. That's why you got idiot journalists comparing Francisco Lindor to Lenny frickin' Dykstra. Jeez, Dykstra. Don't you know what? I said I, for the life when I heard that, I got to tell Tony this. For the life of me, I can't remember. I don't even know if Francisco Lindor has ever um, swindled people out of money. But you know, I know, right? I'm like, <laughs> but they don't want to mention that, you know. Oh, but oh. I mean, when I heard it, I said, I got to tell Tony. And the last, and the last, and the last, I checked, and the last I checked, Lindor, as far as I know, hasn't taken steroids. That's right. Yep. Well, final question. And my my cousin uh, is a big Cubs fan, and you know we were talking about them and 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 looking mm-hmm. at the National League, and and of mm-hmm. course I was bringing up what we were talking about. So he said, um, "How do you think the Cubs are going to do?" And then he said, "What team that you feel that's a contender in the National American League?" That has to win before they, their manager loses their job. That's a that's a wide one, but you know. <laughs> can I get that whole? That's what I say. Okay. Just like it, yeah, yeah. I gotta, uh, so well, he's he, on the hot he's a, like he's I said, on the he's hot seat, but he's not on the hot seat. But if he don't win, well, he's the, on the, the hot biggest seat. thing is he's a he's a he's a big time. He's a big time Cub fan, so he wanted to know how you think the Cubs would do. And then he, uh, okay, okay, um, and then he wanted to know if you thought of a t- contender that if they don't get off to a good start, they could lose their manager. Oh, 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 oh I, okay. That part I can answer very quickly. Uh, the New York Metropolitan. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, I think. Um, I think, um, and it's not that he did a terrible job, I don't feel, but I think because of all the hype, and I think, you know, with the new, as you can see, you know, usually when a new guy comes in, he's going to want, you know, he's going to want his own guy, so to speak. So, if they got off to a real bad start, 
he 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 could definitely be looking over his shoulder. But um, as for the Cubs, um, they'll go as far as they're pitching. Now, I like the fact that it looks like that they, you know, Baez has basically said he wants to be a Cub for life. Sign him. Sign him. You know, get it out the way. You know, you got to, you know, they, um, to me right now, the division is St. Louis's to win. And I know that's something the Cub fans do not want to hear, but... No, they definitely don't want to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get when you when you get arguably the best third baseman in the game, for 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 basically um, you know uh, a hill of beans, and you already got Goldschmidt and Carpenter and all those other guys. And remember, they were one of the teams that was hit hard by COVID last year, and they still got into the right. season. So now they've and now they've reloaded uh, to a certain extent. Um, I don't think Ross is if, if he's. I think I think in sort of an indirect way he may be thinking that Ross may be out of a job if he doesn't. No, I don't think so. I think they'll let Ross. Be, be, you know, look, he was one of the guys that helped break the curse. So I think he's got a little bit of wiggle room unless they just lose a hundred games. But I don't see them losing a hundred games. Um, I think they'll. Um, I don't think they'll win. The, I, I think they're going to have to settle for a wild card. I think they're going to have to settle for Walker. But the, the the pitching staff to me is still a little, you know, little whatever. And it's got a little tooth. And it's got a little age on them. Even though they did let Lester go, but um, they got. You know, I think they have to decide of their core who they want to keep. You know, between because right. we keep hearing these Bryant rumors and Baez and, and what have you. Um, I think I think it's I think I, I, I best case scenario they're a wild card team this year. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think like I agree with you. I don't think they're as as strong. Um, this year, and I I do believe that you you make a great point. What if the Cardinals were healthy all year last year? You know, I mean, they still got in, but you know, it just it shows how how deep they are. But um, it, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, he he's a Cub fan, and I'm a Yankee fan, and you know, I, I don't have I don't have any issues with the Cubs, but he he doesn't like the Yankees, so. And rightfully so. And rightfully so. I knew you were gonna say that. I I told him you say that as well. <laughs> I like him. 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 I like him already. See, you see, you guys. You know, don't hate. Don't, no, don't no, hate stop, on the the, no, the guys. Stop. Stop with the. <laughs> stop with the. Stop, stop with the martyrdom. Okay. Guys have won a hundred games. Guys have won a hundred games three times in the last four years. Don't be a martyr, okay? Just, 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 just improve on your pitching staff and hush. Well, we want that next championship. That's what we want. Like you said, we we don't want to play yeah, for to be yeah, the best yeah. in the and, city. We and, want to want a and, title. And 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 people in hell want clear water too. So, you know, <laughs> see what happens. You know what you and you you met in Cub fans. You know where you can go. <laughs> Take that. You know where you can take that. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
my God. I, I'm excited. Let's see what happens. T, I appreciate you, man. I'll talk with you soon. All right, man. I'll t- oh, are you still not Frank Thomas, right? No. Okay. Just want to make sure. I missed it. Everybody always asks me, you know, is he Frank Thomas? No, no, he's not Frank Thomas. He doesn't make them bad. He doesn't make them no, silly commercials. But, and and but she will love it, too. So. <laughs> No, 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 no! You're saying it wrong. No, no, you're saying it wrong. The ladies. Oh, okay. Not just no, not just no, her. And the no, ladies. ladies <laughs> oh my God. That's right. That's right that up there. Is... That's right up. That's right up there with. Oh my brother, you have to buy your own. Uh, no, no, you gotta get your own. See. Uh, don't buy your own. And, and, and yeah. How do you get? How do you get him and Andy Van Slyke and Doug Flutie in it? That's sort of a weird mix. It, it, uh, they, they it's like they, I they, love. You know, I, you know, I, I can learn Who's available? Uh, Doug Flutie's available. <laughs> okay, let's get him. Andy Van Slyke available. <laughs> Who the hell's Andy Van Slyke? Remember the guy who used to play next to Barry Bonds? <laughs> oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's how. Bring that's him how, in. That's yeah. How, yeah, that's how decisions are made, and, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Because you know we got to run. Said, I appreciate you, know, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know they probably said, "Can we get Clayton Kershaw?" Oh no, we can't get Clayton. Kershaw. No, that ain't can gonna we get happen. Deshaun? Can we get Deshaun Watson? Ain't been... <laughs> can we get Can we get Deshaun Watson? No, we can't get Deshaun. Deshaun's just angry. We can't get Deshaun. No, Deshaun might be like Hal McRae in it after. Trigger uh, this. Trigger this. Trade me. In his pajamas. So. <laughs> bleep the bleep. All the bleep. Bleep, bleep. I'm bleeding, bleep. Banging, banging, banging on McNair's door. Trade me. Trade me. <laughs> oh, man. Tony, I appreciate you, man. Talk to you. Take care. Tony mm-hmm. T. Mack McLean, BASN Newsroom, of course. Always good to have him on. Uh, we got to go. Enjoy. Make sure you go to our website. If you missed any part of this broadcast, go to our website, uh, the Bastard News Radio Network.com, the Bastard News Radio Network. You mean my Me.